You can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast Fellowship episode. Our fellowship today is Kylie. Hello, hello. And bearing the ring, myself, Jeremy. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get anyone else for fellowship. It's a pretty crappy fellowship, but that's okay. We'll survive, Kylie, won't we? We will. Are there any like like really good like tag team partners in Lord of the Rings aside from? Well, obviously there's Moon and Dra. Well, Frodo and Sam are pretty good tag teams. I would think so. Yeah, they did just to you know destroy the ring. I suppose Legolas and Gimli is another. I was gonna say, another one. Yeah, yeah, Legolas and Gimli definitely. Yeah, uh, I think I think there's some around. There, there are a couple. That's a, that's all mm. I can really think of. Yeah, we'll have to think along the way. Maybe we can pick up extra members of our fellowship as we journey through this episode. That would be pretty rad. Yeah, let's, let's do our best to do that. Let's just try and collect them along the way. But initially, in the introduction, you have the two of us. And look, that's okay. We'll survive with the two of us. I know that some of you have asked for more more members of our fellowship to talk, but but we just uh, want to hear our own voices, Kylie. So let's just keep going with this way. Sounds like a plan. Let's get straight into it then, eh? Straight into it. We don't even want to introduce what army we're doing. We just want to go straight into it. Well, we talked about the Fellowship. We talked about how we're going to pick up members of the Fellowship. I'm pretty sure that the listeners are pretty clued into the fact that we are talking about the Fellowship. Okay, okay, fair enough. Okay, well, let's go straight into Know Thine Enemy. Know Thine Enemy. The Fellowship In all the long history of Middle-earth, there are few heroes as celebrated and admired as the Fellowship of the Ring. Formed at the Council of Elrond in Rivendell, this unlikely band of nine companions set out to do the impossible, destroy the Ring of Power and free Middle-earth from darkness. Led by the wandering Astari Gandalf the Grey, the Fellowship contains representatives from all the races of the free peoples of Middle-earth. From the race of men, a ranger in the north going by the name of Strider, and the noble Boromir from the city of Minas Tirith lend their sword in defence of their people. The dwarves were represented by Gimli, son of Gloin, a steadfast and proud warrior who pledged to see the ring destroyed. Legolas Greenleaf, an elf of the woodland realm, joined the fellowship, ensuring that the elves would finally see that the power of the ring was ended, as it should have been over 3,000 years before. Most importantly, however, the Fellowship will contain four hobbits, the most unlikely of creatures to join such a quest. Frodo Bangards, accompanied by Samwise Gamgee, Meriadoc Brandybuck, and Peregrine Took, set out from the Shire to deliver the Ring to Rivendell, only to be thrust into adventure beyond their wildest imaginations. Frodo would bear the Ring, as he had proved himself resilient to its powers in bringing it to Rivendell. The journey to Mordor was fraught with peril, although many early challenges were overcome. They escaped the clutches of the Watcher in the Water and fled the ruins of Balin's tomb, but upon the bridge of Khazad-dûm, Gandalf was forced to confront a dreaded Balrog of Morgoth in order to cover the Fellowship's escape from Moria, an encounter that would leave the Fellowship one number short, at least for a time. It was upon Amon Hen, by the banks of the Anduin, where the Fellowship was broken. Frodo, along with his companion Sam, set off for Mordor alone, not wishing to bring any more death upon those who pledged themselves to this quest. 
Determined to make right his wrongdoings towards Frodo through his failed attempt to take the ring, Boromir fought off the Urukai who came to claim the hobbits and take them to Isengard. Ultimately, however, Boromir was slain and Merry and Pippin were captured. Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas were faced with a decision to go after Frodo and forsake Merry and Pippin to torture and death, or to give chase to the Urukai and allow Frodo to venture into Mordor alone. As the three hunters gave chase to the scouts of Isengard, Frodo edged ever closer to the Mountain of Fire, unsure of how he could go about accomplishing his task. However, it is often the smallest things in Middle-earth that can make the biggest of differences. So Kylie, the members of the Fellowship, I always think of the Fellowship as nine people. So, so that's, that's initially a thought, okay, nine profiles, we can deal with that. But there's actually more, and there's one secret profile that I might show you later on. But for the moment now, let's go through our nine plus friends amount of profile. Can I get you to start off with the leader of the Fellowship, perhaps, or the most important member of the Fellowship, perhaps? Well... Let's just stop introducing. Go for with Frodo Baggins. Frodo Baggins. Well, I, I'll definitely agree he's probably one of the most important members of the Fellowship because he does have the ring, and the ring is very, very useful in certain situations. But anyway, enough uh, uh, preface. Let's get into it. Uh, Frodo Baggins, 60 points. Uh, he has the Hobbit, Infantry, Hero, and Hero of Fortitude keywords. He has a movement of four inches. Oh, they're poor little legs. Uh... Fight value of 3, shoot value of 3+, plus, very handy there. Strength 2, defense 3, but those both can be increased uh, with various equipment options. Uh, 1 attack, 2 wounds, courage of 6, and for might, will, and fate, he is 2, 3, 3, respectively. For Wargi, he is the dagger and the one ring, very cool there. And for heroic actions, he has heroic defense. For options, he has the mithril coat, 15 points, sting for 5 points, and an elven cloak for 5 points. So the mithril coat, whilst wearing the mithril coat, a model adds plus 3 to their defense. And sting, sting is an elven made dagger. Additionally, whilst carrying sting, a model adds plus 1 to their strength value when making strikes. Very handy there. Finally, for special rules, he has resistance to magic and throw stones with a range of eight and strength of one, just like every other hobbit in the game. Mm, yeah, n- a nice little profile there. The one ring's a really interesting option in that if you have it, it's it's amazing. It's a great piece of war gear, but this ring talks to Frodo and it is a bit of a risk, so it can stuff you up occasionally. Not like the hobbit ring where it's just foolproof. You don't have any problem whatsoever because it hasn't awoken properly. The problem with the ring I find is that other ring bearers are pretty common, and Frodo's pretty pretty much down the list a bit, so he's not always the one that carries it around. So the deal with, uh, I think, Kylie, it's whoever had the ring first is the one that carries it in the rules, isn't it? Yeah, or kind of. There's a hierarchy of order. I think mm. it's like um, Sauron, Frodo, Bilbo, Isildur, Smeagol. Oh, okay. I think. Oh, so he's pretty far up there. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, we'll he's not at the up. top, but he's, he's, he's not at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really good piece of war gear, just to be able to to manipulate people's fight value. That is that is the key stat in combat, fight value. If you're ahead on fight value and you have a bucket load of dice, you're pretty much going to win the vast majority of your fights. So having Frodo of a ring, very useful. Also great for scenarios and things, and great for for this the actual narrative scenarios, not just points match games. Because I know we're going to talk about points match tactics, but I don't think we can go this episode without talking about scenario tactics as well. Because that's honestly where you're going to see the Fellowship more often. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about a bit of his role as well in the the uh, keep it secret part. But Frodo, you, you're going to take him because I'm going to go and reveal the army bonus now, Kylie. The army bonus says you have my sword. As long as Frodo is alive and well on the table, 
all models from the Fellowship Army are fearless, which is a pretty useful rule. Additionally, a force that consists solely of models from the Fellowship Army will never be considered broken if Frodo is alive and on the table. So you don't break while he's alive, and you're fearless while he's alive. So that that's pretty good for all these guys. It means that especially some of your ones that have not as reliable courage, they definitely hang around, which is which is quite useful. It's a good army bonus. It's not game-breaking, but it's kind of cool. It makes it a bit more like a scenario. And Frodo's heroic defense is nice in keeping him alive. The will and the, the magic is nice for the spell targeting because he, he does get targeted by spells because I know Rafe's love to get him to put the ring on. They, that's their favorite thing. He's got good defense if you get the mithril coat, which you probably will a lot of the time. Alvin Cloak's handy. He's got some good options. He's not a world-beater in combat. He's a a great assister. So he comes in and, and he'll help out a friend and, and make sure they win. So he wants to be teaming up with one of the bigger members of the fellowship. He enables them, but on his own, he's pretty, pretty mediocre. So he's, he's not a, not going to do whatever he is, 60 to 80 points worth of damage, but he will assist you if you need it and makes the game very narrative. Unfortunately, he's very slow. So he does tend to slow down the whole fellowship, even though you have access to all the marching you want. Usually. Yeah, it's Frodo's, Frodo's a bit of a weird one as well. I'm just looking at the One Ring um, kind of rules in uh, my other window here, and I, I, I can't believe it, Jeremy. They actually changed the hierarchy on me. You were indeed correct. It's about who yeah. had the ring first. So number one is Sauron, number two is Isildur, three is Bilbo, four is Frodo, five is Bilbo again, but it, the old Shire Bilbo, and then finally <laughs> Gollum is last, but... Yeah. Okay. That was a bit of a bit mm. of a wake up call for me. I really do need to get around to reading the whole rule book again. You know, front to back uh, at some point because man, I'm getting a bit rusty with some of these uh, obscure parts of the rules that uh, I sometimes glossed over because I definitely know uh, the hierarchy I said earlier was um, the one in the old edition, but uh, it seems I've updated it coming to the new edition. But yeah, the, the ring is kind of what makes Frodo Frodo, to be perfectly honest. Like, in the scenarios, it usually dictates a lot about how the scenario is played, uh, particularly when you're in the playing the ring race scenarios. The ring race are always trying to get that ring on so that they can get their free weird po- points back. But particularly as well, when you're playing those those bigger form combat scenarios, you know, when you're playing against, you know, bigger monsters, cave trolls, you know, scary enemies the ring plays a very big pivotal role because it can allow you know thing your characters like aragorn and boromir um even to a lesser extent you know um i'm thinking of particularly of faramir in, in some of those scenarios to be able to go into characters that they wouldn't be able to kill uh easily by themselves and you know basically guarantee uh being high flight value against them so that can be very very helpful particularly particularly um uh with not having to use your might point to strike up yeah, very true. It does save a lot of resources if you've got it active, and it does make the narrative scenario. He's he's not a bad purchase in a points match game, though. The ring is a pretty good special rule, and he's got enough stats that he can be useful even if you can't get full value out of that. You can definitely yeah. find some uses for him, and, and he is one of the, the more reliable like objective holders in the game because he's, he's hard to get to, he's hard to dislodge, and he's... he's fearless essentially if you take take the special rules with him and even if he doesn't have the fearless rule you're rocking courage six and three points of will so it's mm. pretty hard to to scare him away or getting to take the ring off too because like mm. two three three for heroic stats is a pretty good chunk of stats too it makes him pretty reliable you know at least in the early parts of the game i don't think i've ever had him run run and wander off with the 
with the ring um, on in a points match game. In a scenario, yes, of course, because you're always coming up against race and stuff like that. But particularly in points matches, I don't think you have to worry too much about about the ring. No, it doesn't happen a whole lot. Doesn't happen a whole lot. Yeah. No, isn't it just a courage test to take the ring off, and it's like a one or a two, the other person gets to move him, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's a courage test. It's a courage test to take it off, but uh, particularly because he has two might, he can always guarantee um, at least once during the game that he's not going to suddenly uh, wander off on you because you can't use might on that roll. So knowing that you can throw your two might points to to to, to alter that roll means that even if you do roll that one, pop two might, you go up to that three, so you, you can guarantee a follow up charge if you need to on something big and scary. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. And because points match games are usually a lower amount of turns, that's probably a bit more valuable. Whereas a lot of the scenarios with this army go for a long, long time. Although that said, you're probably looking for a long game with a fellowship army anyway. So I'm going to move on, Kylie, to to Samwise, Frodo's main companion and and possibly best friend. I keep saying possibly. He was was a pretty loyal friend. Samwise Gamgee for 40 points. You've got a Hobbit infantry hero, Fortitude hero. So that's just about leadership level at this point. It's not really about much else. Maybe you can get a sneaky heroic, uh, what's it, the challenge against challenge. him if you're a, if you're a fortitude. <laughs> Maybe uh, Shagra got... or someone, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those ones. Moving to four, five to three, which is not too bad. Once again, same as Frodo, fight three for a hobbit. He's okay. It's okay. He does the job. Shoot three plus, strength two. Yeah, you want to up that if you can, but it's pretty hard to at this point. Defense of three, attacks one, wounds two, courage six, and then two, two, two for stats, which is okay. That's that's a once again, as you said, a solid block of stats. He's got a dagger, so he basically treats it as a sword. And heroic actions, he's got some useful heroic actions. Well, a useful heroic action, heroic strike, heroic strength. <laughs> uh, maybe, 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 probably not. Probably not. I wouldn't. Heroic strength. Uh, and then you have an elven cloak for five points, which if you're playing a, a scenario type thing or a, a themed army, can be pretty good because he's, with your defense three and two wounds, he's a big chunk of your, your army if someone wants to just take some elven bows or um, just Uruk bows or something like that and, and take him out before that. Because you want to keep him alive long enough to use his other special rules. He's got resistance to magic. He's got frost stones, which you'll see in the Hobbits. But he's got a really nice... A move called Let Him Go or I'll Have You Long Shanks. And Sam will protect Frodo from danger no matter the cost. No matter the cost. So the rule is that if he's engaged in a fight within six inches of Sam, sorry, if he, being Frodo, if Frodo is engaged in a fight within six inches of Sam, then Sam may call a heroic combat without using might. If the heroic combat is successful, then Sam must use the following move to join Frodo's combat. If this is not possible, then Sam must move as close to Frodo as possible. So this is one where the FAQ has made a real mess of it a couple of times because at one point we had rules saying that you're allowed to call it whilst you're in combat with uh, Frodo and you also had rules saying that you couldn't do it in combat with Frodo and I believe at the moment it's set up so that you have to you have to be in a different combat and then you have to move into another one but we definitely need to check that Kylie so let's check that right now. Yep, so the latest one, the current one, I've, I've looked it up Kylie, I, I've... I've broken the, the curtain I've, I've had a look at it says uh, can you use it if he's already in the same combat no it's used to get into the combat with Frodo it's not used in the same combat so that's that's been overruled I love the idea of having multiple people running the FAQs and having multiple answers that's fantastic but that's a good move because anytime you can get a free heroic combat you're doing well now it's probably not going to be Sam on his own because with one attack and strength two you're probably not killing a whole lot but no. if he's got 
I don't know, a Legolas, a Gimli, a Boromir, someone in his combat with him, that becomes really, really good because it's just saving on your resources. It means you can spend them on something else. And that that itself is really nice. So you've got to be really careful how you set these two up. They, you want them within six inches of each other. You want friends and Sam to make use of the heroic combats. And then you want to make sure that, that you're not blocked off so you can still get towards Frodo and and help support him as well. So there's a bit of tactical choice in this one, but overall, a pretty solid profile. If you're not taking Frodo, I don't know that you're going to take Sam. I think without that rule, he's probably a little bit underwhelming, but I, he's not too bad for, for what he is. Yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a fun little uh, a fun little piece to have in, in your town. A good little, um, I'm not going to say like a big mainstay piece, but he's a good like combo piece. Like if you have someone like a Boromir, or, or, or like you said, Legolas or Gimli in the same combat with him, you can do some really funky things where you can throw Boromir in um, and use that to slingshot your 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 other other more powerful heroes around the table and stuff. There's I, I distinctly remember um, in uh, the Balanced Tomb scenario getting a really nice one off uh, with with um, with Sam, where I called a heroic combat with Boromir, Legolas, and Sam. Boromir struck up against the goblin, got the heroic combat off, killed the goblin, and then pushed the struck up Boromir into the troll and got the kill on the troll. So you can do really cool, fun, funky little things like that where you're utilizing that free heroic to push the, the more powerful members of the, of, of the uh, fellowship around. And you can you take that even one step further by being even even more tricksy and more clever by using it to change the, the, the turn order. Even if you can't, uh, get the heroic combat off. Sometimes it can be beneficial to force Sam's combat to go first, so that regardless of whether it's uh, Sam wins or loses the combat, you could possibly untrap another member of the Fellowship if they should lose the combat, which can be particularly helpful to keeping some of the squishier members like uh, Mary, uh, Pippin, and Legolas from going down to a, a horde of goblins or something like that. It's really good for exactly what you said there, but also offensively. Sometimes if you've lost priority and and you get, say, a heroic move-off, which you often do, so this is the way that things often work, that means that you can potentially end up trapping a model on another model. So if you charge models in a certain way, you can prevent them backing away. Now, normally this wouldn't be a problem because if your opponent gets to decide the order of combats, they'll just back away the friends first and, and leave a space. But this way you can get it. So if you're clever, you can put Sam. And then if you're really clever, you can put another model with him. Usually not more than one more, but another model in with him and use the heroic combat just to kill a model that you want double strikes against. So something like uh, in a lot of the scenarios, things like goblin captains and even even things like cave trolls, it's really good for ensuring that, that you get the, tr- the trap and make sure that you can kill the model you want to kill. And then the movement extra becomes a bonus. Sam has to move towards Frodo, but the friend doesn't friend can move where they want and that could be very useful so you can just plug a gap with them or you can go help someone else or you can move around and you'll find as we go on heroic combats are really a mainstay of the fellowship so more heroic combats really really good mm. i think the other thing too that um just to kind of like point out with uh Frodo and sam that i think is is has really helped the quality of life for these two characters is that they've gotten overall uh, one more powerful and two cheaper as well. I remember back in the day where a fully kitted out Frodo was over 100 points. Now he's <laughs> sitting at, with, with Sting, the Mithril Coat, and the Elven Cloak, he's only sitting at 80, and Sam uh, with the Elven Coat is sitting at 45, which is 
much, much, much less than what they used to be. So actually using them as like little mini ally contingents, maybe taking Frodo, Sam, and Smeagol into say a Faramir's Rangers list or something like that can be really beneficial for you because it gives you more options in that list, particularly with the ring and the cute little combats that you can call with Sam. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, they're definitely a, a more affordable proposition for those little themed armies where you're going for the travels of Frodo, Sam, and Smeagol. And that, that, that is one of my favorite Hobbit alliances. I know you've played that quite a bit. You played it when it was more expensive, and now it's, now it's really good value. So it definitely helps out those ones. Kylie, can you take the next two characters together? Yes, I can. In fact, I was going to as well. But Merry and Pippin, uh, or Meredith Brandybuck, and Peregrine Took, for all intents and purposes, have identical profiles. There is not a single letter, oh well, there is a single letter, the, the, the Mary and the Pippin in there for the Shire rule has changed very so slightly, but essentially they have the exact same uh, stats and special rules. So I'm going to read out the profile and you can chop and change uh, for Pippin or Mary however you like. So Mary and Pippin come in at 10 points each. They have the Hobbit Infantry Hero keywords, and they are minor heroes. As always, for Hobbits, move four. Uh, they are five value three with a shoot of three plus, so handy on the three plus shoot value there for their throw stones. Uh, strength of two, defense of three. They have one attack and one wound each. Courage of four, and for Might, Will, and Fate, they have zero might, zero will, and just the single point of fate. For Wargear, they're both armed with daggers, and for options, they have an elven cloak for five points. For special rules, they have resistance to magic and throw stones at range 8 of strength and 1, as all hobbits do. And finally, their last special rule is for the Shire. Whilst within 3 inches of Boromir of Gondor, Merry and Pippin may spend Boromir's might points as if they were their own. So that is a really, really handy special rule that they picked up in the new edition. It allows for so many opportunities, uh, particularly with uh, positioning your um, hobbits to be the almost the heroic move um, uh, uh, guys in your army. They're, they're solely there to, to call those extra actions that you, you want to free up for your your um, big heroes, specifically uh, when setting up uh, chain heroic actions like strike and heroic combat. Mary and Pippin are absolutely fantastic for calling the heroic combat while your bigger heroes like your Aragorn, your Boromans, and your, your Legolas and Gimli's are the ones calling the strike and going for the kill because... You know, you don't really want to be calling the heroic combat with your with your big combat heroes when they have other actions that they might want to be uh, utilizing for their own purposes. Yeah, it means that at a very small level, you can do a borrow me say Mary combo combat and have a strike and a combat in the same combat, which is which is pretty useful to be able to to pull that off. And there are there are definitely times when you want to use might from a different point because sometimes it's just about what, what coverage your might has, which heroes are underneath. And sometimes it's just about maximizing your heroic combats and they might be able to power that up. So Boromir has a big store of might. Having more options for these little satellites to go and use is pretty nice. It does keep them alive occasionally. Sometimes you use it out of desperation, but tactically it's a pretty solid choice. Uh, unfortunately, these guys are often the first to die in our fellowship games for of any type. So they're, they're soft targets. They, they are hard to keep safe. Elven Cloak helps a little bit, but still that raises the points quite a bit. Uh, they're the kind of models that if you want them safe, you end up throwing them on top of a big ant and, and leave them that way because they uh, they they tend to, to get targeted pretty quickly. And if you want to play any fellowship games on hard mode, try to play with no kills because keeping these guys alive can be stressful. Yeah, you stole the words right out of your mouth, my mouth, Jeremy. That is exactly the point. If you 
these playing with these guys, um, particularly now with the Boromir um, changes to their for the Shire rule, they can actually cop one hit each. Uh, with the Fate Point and three points of might, Boromir has six, obviously. So they each can basically, even if they roll out one on that Fate, they can still make sure they pass that Fate. So it makes those hard mode scenarios a little bit more tactical because you are giving something up to keep them alive if you do have to spend that Fate Point. Yeah, in this case, Boromir's resource. And Boromir very much then turns into a bodyguard for uh, Merry and Pippin. Because I'm not sure how many of you have played the Fellowship scenarios. Quite a few of them are, are, are fairly easy uh, to um, play through once you've played them a couple of times and understand how the um, scenario moves and flows. But once you kind of replace the if Frodo dies, the game ends with if Merry or Pippin dies, the game ends the whole type of the game just changes completely. And for those experienced players out there that are looking for a really nice challenge, I highly recommend uh, playing this variant This variant of the uh, scenarios. Mm, it is a lot of fun. And I think that's the, the worst use of Boromir's Might you could ever use, Kylie. Three points of Might for a point of Fate on a Mary or a Pippin. Come on, that, that's loser talk. Don't do that. Yeah, of course it's loser talk, but the amount of bloody times I have had a random goblin archer, you know, sitting at the back of the board going, in Barlin's Tomb particularly, I have so many memories of Barlin's Tomb, where, like, two or three goblin archers take a pot shot into Mary's combat, hit Mary and kill him, is, is just downright soul-crushing. So, yes, three points of might to keep Mary alive is, is not the best use of might, but when you're playing in that hard mode, Jeremy... Man, I will drop those three points of mine in a heartbeat to keep my Mary alive. And you would not live it down. I would make so much fun of you doing that. Okay, Gandalf the Grey is our next member of the Fellowship. So he was a member of the Fellowship for a little while before he got the upgrade from fighting the big boss guy. So for 170 points, and this, this Gandalf profile appears quite a bit. He, he's a, a solid one. He's in a few lists, but he also gets, gets moved out of the Fellowship a bit. To Gandalf the Grey, you get a Hero of Legend, which is the top level in the Fellowship. It's going to be the highest level that you've got. So if you take him, he's going to be your leader. And that's a pretty solid leader. Yes, it's it's not going to be good in Contest of Champions compared to, say, an Aragorn or a Boromir. But in terms of resilience, this guy is pretty tough to move. He's got some good defense. So we've got our standard wizard stat, move of 6, fight 5, 4+, plus, strength 4, defense 5, 1 attack, 3 wounds, courage 7, courage 7. And then Might 3, 6 Will with a little asterisk because of his Staff of Power. And then a Fate of 3. He's got Glamdring and Naya. So Glamdring, his sword, Foehammer. Uh, is a nicer name, isn't it? That's really cool, especially because it's a sword. Calling the sword Foehammer is, is classic Tolkien. So we've got Foehammer. The Glamdring is an Elven-made hand-and-a-half sword. So Elven-made nice. Fight 5, it makes that go a little bit further. Additionally, Glamdring increases Gandalf's strength by 1 when he's making strikes with it. So if he's using that, his hand-and-a-half sword, he's going to be at strength 5, which is, which is once again, a nice level. That's a nice little bonus. So Naya, his ring, Ring of Fire, forged by Calabrimbor. I really want a Calabrimbor profile. But anyway, Gandalf may re-roll his dice when making fate rolls. That's really useful. So re-rolling fate means that you're getting... Instead of three fate, you're getting sort of four to five, maybe even six if you're really lucky in terms of actual fate those. That's really nice, especially when someone gets a cheap wound on him early on and you want to save it. 
heroic actions, heroic resolve, you might you might consider that. That's not a terrible heroic action. Heroic channeling, that's a very good heroic action. You're probably going to consider that. And heroic strike, also a very good heroic action. So he's no wasted heroic actions here. He's got some good stuff, and he's, his steeds are not wasted either. He's either got a cart for 25 points, which is... Amount with three wounds. That's the big thing about it. Defense five, three wounds. He's not getting moved off it. It's got a big base, which can be pretty good because he's pretty tanky. And at the start of every shoot phase, select a single model within six inches, any model, and roll a d6. On a four plus, it suffers a strength two hit. So you get little bits of shooting, which can be nice occasionally, especially if you target models that are around that defense four mark or on a horse that's defense four. That can be pretty pretty decent. But the main thing you buy a cart for is a, a profile uh, a horse that's not going to get knocked over. So it's a mount with that following one. Pretty good. And then the horse for 10 points, also a good choice. His magic powers, he's got all of them, really. Not all of them, but he's got all the good ones. He's got a very yeah, good right. selection. Oh, he's Let's got, put he's it got that way. One, and most of the time you're thinking, what can I use? What can I use? Well, here's what you can use. And and some of them are, are exhaustion, but with six points of will and a three point of will a turn because of his staff of power, you're not worried too much about that. Uh, he's got blinding light, which is fantastic. It, that's that's a good way to save those little hobbits. He's got terrifying aura, which is also fantastic, and usually the one I go for first. It depends on blinding light or terrifying aura, but being terrifying really does help because you can use him in a bit of a tank role. Then he's got immobilize and command, which are both excellent spells. Um, immobilize if you don't need to move them. Command if you need to move them. Both fantastic. They stop strikes going against you. If you channel them, they they make things easy to kill. If they like command is just my favorite. Just moving yeah. models around. If you move your opponent's model around, you can do something annoying with them, and that's my favorite thing to do. Just mm. being annoying with other people's models. I would even go as far to say that the first four spells in uh, Gandalf's profile are his bread and butter spells. Those are the ones mm. that you're going to be using the most. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The next ones are a little bit situational, especially the next three. So Protection of the Valor, Kylie, remind me what that one does again, because that's the one I always forget. Yeah, so Protection of the Valor is basically makes one of the models in your, um, um, or whoever you, you cast it upon, uh, essentially untargetable. Uh, very, very handy um, for uh, preventing enemy spellcraft uh, or some of those nasty special rules that absolutely bug you up and stuff like that. So if the if your opponent say has a Barrowite, for instance, Protection of the Valor is the way to go because it means that Barrowite then can't drop down uh, their Paralyze on the model that you have casted upon. Very, very handy. Especially if it's like, um, like you know how Aragorn attracts ring raves like no one else? So, like, if there's if two or three ringwraiths other side of you, Aragorn's copying all of them. So it's nice to be able to throw that on a model that that you know you can fully activate and, and move around. So that that's actually pretty cool. I've got to remember that one a bit yeah. more. The channel version of it is actually really nasty too, because it not only affects the target. It's, it's a range three inch uh, spell, by the way. Uh, not only affects the target, but every friendly model within three inches of the target too. So you can do some serious just denial moves with, with, with this spell. You know, you might send uh, Aragorn, Boromir, and uh, uh, Legolas on their horses straight into a combat where, you know, your opponent might have a couple of ring races or something. You just go, right, channels, protection of the Valor. These guys are untargetable. Watch me take off a whole bunch of your models. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea. It's on a 4+, plus, which for Gandalf is not too bad. Command was on a 4+, plus, Immobilize was a 3+, plus, and Blinding Light and Terrifying Aura were a 2+. Plus, so that's nice and easy. you got Strength and Will, which is give extra will. can be useful if there's magic around. But yeah, I, I just saying, Protection of Valor sounds like a good option in that case as well. So 12 inches. Oftentimes, this is the one you do when you've got nothing else to do. So you're like, oh, I don't really have anything I want to do today. I'll just 
chuck a pr- uh, extra will on someone that that's lost a will. Uh, collapse rocks. This one I love, but I never get to use because you've got to be in the terrain to use it. But it's it's a damage spell for when you're inside like a, a rocky area. So that's always good fun. But as soon as you're in a rocky area, everyone just runs away from Gandalf. So you can use that to your advantage. But I, I really like that one. Five plus. It's really an alternative to Sorceress Blast, which is your classic line someone up and bowl them down with a big blast and try and try and do some wounds and disrupt the lines a bit as well, which is also a, quite a good spell. Yeah, uh... There's there's a reason why Gandalf gets included in so, 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 so many army lists as an ally. From Rohan to Gondor, from from Lake Town to Rivendell. It doesn't matter which army list you're taking with with good. Gandalf can always be kind of shoehorned in to fulfill a role. And that's because he has so many things in his toolbox. There, There is a reason why he's so feared in the competitive community. It's because, you know, he checks, checks so many things, you know. Big enemy scary hero, I've got command for that. Oh, you have ring race and barrel weights, protection of the Vela. Oh, you, you're running a really slow, methodical, big, scary um, army with, say, half trolls and stuff. Oh, sorceress blast to slow you down. Oh, you have a outrageous shooting, blinding light. Oh, you're running all goblins. I'll just throw up a terrifying aura and you can never charge me. Like, th- there are so many things that Gandalf can do, particularly what, when he's mounted, that sometimes it's almost you know, foolish not to take him. You have to seriously consider not taking him. And in the uh, fellowship list, I would argue he's the linchpin to the fellowship list. What he does for the fellowship, uh, particularly with controlling enemy targets and creating space, is invaluable for such a small model army. Yeah, you could tell that, like, when they had the breaking of the fellowship army list, which we'll go into in a future episode, but that one... The, the absence of Gandalf means they need a whole bunch of extra rules to go and basically bring what he does for the Fellowship. So that that's really good. One of my sneaky favorites, Kylie, is uh, Terrifying Aura. That's the one that I often channel because that one, channeling Terrifying Aura, can be go from being a mild annoyance to being just incredibly frustrating, especially if you're going against a, a Courage 3 or Courage 2 army. Uh-huh. So having him on a big base, like a horse or a cart, and then throwing down a channel Terrifying Aura can just be like the ultimate disruption piece. And while he's doing that, if he's on the cart, which I, I actually quite like, you can be throwing fireworks at them. And, and this does help you in those, like, you know, those horde armies, hunter orcs, the, the goblins, the, all these sort of ones, just plain orcs that, that really don't like courage tests. They, they don't like that channel terrifying Gandalf. He's, that's good as well. But a lot of the other options, you've got lots of, of good options for channeling, which means his might, ideally you don't want to be using it for things like the moves and the, the heroic combats. You want someone else to do that so he can get the most use out of his either on, he's a decent striker, but the channeling as well, because he's your only channeler, you want to get some really, really good use about that. Because a channeled command can win you a, a game. It could just totally wipe out a model if you set it up right. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. A good game with Gandalf, we generally see all three of his might points being used on his spellcraft in some way, whether that be channeling or boosting out um, spells uh, to, to cast or, or, or what have you. He, he's that potent of a model... Um, uh, on the on the table too, but I, the one thing that I think uh, is worth mentioning um, now, uh, kind of going forward, is that he has a lot of setup time. In those scenarios where you start really close to your opponent, um, being able to set up your blinding light, your terrifying aura, and um, maybe even getting a strength of will down on a biomid because that is one of the the uses I absolutely love is strength and will for um, is oh, yeah, getting, yeah, giving Boromir of Condor an extra will point or an extra save to, to not be um, um, targeted early. Um, 
is you're giving up a lot of opportunity cost to do that. So you want those kind of early turns where your army is not really doing anything because, you know, two to three turns to set up your spells, set up your blinding light, set up your terrifying aura can be, um, can be, can be game changing. If, if you're not in a position where you can take those turns to set up your spells, you could end up getting overwhelmed or pinched. You could get um, an enemy monster might see, you know, Ganov going for that blinding light as an opportunity to, to, to run in and, and go for a kill on, say, one of your other big heroes, like a Boromir or, or an Aragorn, when Gandalf would have otherwise been able to prevent that charge simply if he had a gone for, you know, an immobilizer or a command instead of, you know, getting up his aura buffs. Yeah, it's it's a real tough choice in, in those occasional scenarios in games where he has to set up right on the line in charge distance of people because if you don't get the heroic move off, you can't go and set up your terrifying aura. And if you don't have the terrifying aura, it means that you're not going to get as much spells off later on because people are just going to be jumping into him. So there's a few setup spells that are, are really useful for him that you really want to get going. And, and look, if... If I go into combat with Gandalf and I haven't got Terrifying Aura set up, unless I'm going against an army that I know is going to be fearless for the whole game, I'm I'm a little bit worried because that is his main protection to just break up the lines because the Fellowship doesn't want to be taking on the whole army at once. It wants the army to be broken up, and that's an effective way of doing it. You don't have a lot of other terror around, so that's, that's one way to get it. It means that he can sort of be on the corner of your army or on the edge of your army and survive potentially. And he might be in a position where three models can charge him and you hope one of them fails so that you only get a couple in. So really, really solid option. And there's a reason why his base cost is the most in the fellowship and, and why he's probably going to be spending the majority of points, uh, except for the guy that we're going to do next. It's because he is really that good. He is one that, that you can win games with and you can take him in other armies and he'll just make them better as long as you use him well. Kylie, can you move on to the next one that I'm hinting at? Yeah, of course, Jeremy. So we have the first of our two men of the Fellowship. We have Aragorn in his Strider profile. He's a bit of a wandering of the wild profile, if you will. He comes in at 160 points. He has a man infantry hero, Kirwood, and he is a hero of Valor. He has movement of 6, fight value of 6, very good there, shoot value of 3+. plus. He is strength 4, defense 5, with 3 attacks, 3 wounds, and a courage of 6. For Might, Will, and Fate, he has 3-3-3, three, 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 but he does have an actress next to 3, which we will get into in a bit. For Walkie, he just has his trusted, trusty sword, but for options, he does have a plethora. He can take Arndul, Flame of the West, for 40 points, a horse for 10 points, armor for 5 points, a bow for 5 points, and an elven cloak for 5 points. For heroic actions, well, he basically has the kitchen sink. Uh, he has Resolve, March, Accuracy, Strike, Strength, Defense, and Challenge. So basically every single Baroque action except for Heroic Channeling because he is in fact not a wizard. Undual Flame of the West is a very handy uh, special uh, equipment option that you can take. Undual is an Elven-made hand and a half sword. Additionally, when making strikes with Andal, Aragorn never requires more than a 4-plus for his twin rolls. Note that if Aragorn elects to use Andal as a two-handed weapon, he still gets the plus one to wound bonus, meaning that he will essentially wound on a 3-plus. There is nothing mm. like, quite like a pointy sword of doom. This thing is probably one of the best wargi options in the game. Uh, fight me, I will argue this to the end of the earth. I have won games on the back of this wargi option, both both before the changes uh, in the new edition and in the old, it, is, it really is that good. And the fact that it got a 35-point reduction from his 
old profile or that is absolutely sweet. But finally, there are two last things that we need to mention. The specials, he does have the Horse Lord special to represent his time in Rohan and he's probably his signature special. The thing that makes him stand out above every other hero in the game, Mighty Hero. He gets a free point of might every turn. Jeremy, where do you even start with this guy? Because Well, I start, why do you pronounce his sword of no R in it? Um, uh, because, you know, that's, that's the way, that's the way young Kylie. <laughs> is that some form of Elvish? No, it's, 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 it's a, it's a holdover from my, um, like, you know, 10 year old, 13 year old self who couldn't pronounce words for, for anything. This is, you got to remember, Jeremy, I'm someone yeah, who true. used to call priority prontatory. That's how, that's how messed up my, <laughs> my ability to, to word properly used to be. So honestly, just dropping a I single R, that, yeah. just dropping a single R off, uh, Anduil, um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, 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 that's the least of my sins in, in my book. <laughs> no, you, you make a very good point then. I, I really pick on your, your pronunciation. I just, I just thought about that because I read it like seven times during it. Like, wait a second, it's Anduil, not Anduil. We're talking about Thranduil and Anduril. So, yeah, Aragorn Aragorn is uh, uh, takes a bit of practice to use because he's got all the options. He feels like he's forgiving because you've got that free point of might of turn. But the problem is it's one point of might of turn, and he can potentially use might in every single phase of the game. So choosing when to use the free point is actually a key choice that you need to make, and good players will use it well, and inexperienced players will end up using it at the wrong point. Because you might, like, heroic move seems the obvious one. Heroic march seems an obvious one. Move phase, that's great. Move phase is always good. But then combat, you've got a couple of really good ones. Defense, strength, uh, challenge, probably not going to use challenge, but, but strike... They're all they're all good in that, and her, of course you got heroic combat. So and those are all Jer- Jeremy, really valuable. Yeah, you're even forgetting about one of the the biggest things you can use the might point for: free point of might to win a combat, free point of might to wound. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, that's yeah, one right. of the other things that uh, a lot of players I, I tend mm. to find forget. Like one of the most common things you'll see with an Aragorn is the knee jerk reaction: heroic move, Aragorn, free point of might. At yes. start of every turn, and often, often, often I see I, I'm, I'll be staring at the table and going. But why? You have a three-point Kyrion or a, or, or a Boromir of Gondor or a Pippin who can use Boromir's might just standing right there, and they're not doing anything with their might point. You could quite easily just call it with the... But it's with free. The... It's free. I know it's free, but Jeremy, it's, like it, it's <laughs> opportunity cost, like we talked about earlier, and yes, there is a bit of an analysis paralysis. Uh, Gandalf kind of has a bit of the same uh, thing going on with his spells, but... Learning how and when to use his uh, heroic actions, I think, is is the key to marking a good Aragorn from a great Aragorn. Because mm. this guy can steamroll armies single-handedly. In fact, I have steamrolled armies single-handedly with Aragorn. Chuck him on a horse with Andal, and there's not a lot that he can't fight. He, he can even take on the Dark Lord himself uh, with this sword. So choosing how and when to use might is, is absolutely crucial. And knowing when... I think particularly when to strike and when not to strike, I think is, is probably the, the big one because there are quite often situations when you're up against other fight stick heroes where it's not worth striking. Uh, if you're in kind of these, if you're both on foot, for instance, or both on horse and you're in these long, grindy situations, sometimes it's better off for you not to strike so that you can save your might for the, for the to, to win the combat, particularly if your opponent's out of might 
or is going to be tapped out of might, or a fight six themselves. You still have the Elven Blade, so you still have ways of navigating that fight without having to strike yourself. Yeah, look, that can be a risky prospect, but it's not a bad idea. You have to have a real plan of Aragorn about how you can approach it, because if Aragorn is not doing the majority of the work for your army, you're in a lot of trouble, because he is a big bucket load of points. And unlike Gandalf, uh, he can't really do a whole lot if he's not getting in the thick of it and doing getting kills. Because, yes, he can move you around, but moving around an army that's only eight, nine models, maybe, maybe a few more, is not going to help so much unless you're getting some value out of that. So he is your biggest threat. He's your, the one that will do all the work. Um, I, you have to have a pretty good reason not to take his sword at the moment because in, in at the Fellowship, one of their weaknesses is high defense. So having him around does help you out a huge amount. So having that really good, especially because the forty points is so much more appropriate than the old seventy five point one. That was that was a real choice. Like let's admit it, that was that was tough because seventy five points was a whole nother guy. So having having forty points, yeah, you definitely take it four plus to to wound anything in the game. Too bad trolls. He's going to go and take you down. He is the hero you expect him to be. Do not lose your might to to easy things because once he's out of might, he dies. If he's got might, he pretty much stays alive. So just be very, very careful with that. Yeah, particularly late game as well. Like, yes, the three-pointer might is a really good um, insurance and buffer um, to, you know, maybe once everyone's out of might, yeah, you still win combats on five plus. But that's still only winning combats on a five plus or three dice. You can still lose those combats. It's not it's not 100%, you know. You're, you're, you're shooting a lot less than that. So always keep in mind that you want to try and support Aragorn as best as you can and make sure that, you know, the other members of this fellowship are around to help peel off the stragglers. If he's going after a big target, make sure that, the, you know, the extra orcs are being dealt with by Boromir and Gimli. If, if you're going for um, lots of kills yourself, make sure the big guys are, are, are being tied up by your big tanky members like, uh, like a Gimli or a Gandalf or, or being pinned down by a Gandalf. Because if, if you're going... Going for a, a particular style with Aragorn, where the king slaying uh, enemy heroes or, or cutting down troops, you don't want to be doing the other role or doing too much at once with Aragorn because he can and will go down. He's only defense five, six if he has armor. Against strength four armies, uh, even strength three armies, that's that's five to wound. That's that's very easy for your opponent to throw throw three wounds out of nowhere and suddenly Aragorn's having a look at his fate, real serious. Oh, more than that, if you can throw six wounds on him, he's dead. So you've got to just be be really careful for that because he's, he's straight, his defense is not high enough that you can just power through things. If someone, oftentimes he's fighting a lot of models and if they get the win, they can do some damage to him and, and take him off uh, reasonably well. So just be very careful that he needs support, but he also will do a huge amount of work for you and he can jump in. If you want to ally him with other armies, he can definitely do jobs in, in a huge amount of armies. Boromir Gondor is, is very similar in a lot of ways. He's, He's one that people love to ally this Boromir of Gondor profile because this one is it's a real bargain at 95 points. So you get a hero of Valor. He's a man Gondor infantry hero. He's got a fantastic profile. A movement of six, a fight of six. Fight of six is great just as a base value. Four plus shoot, but you won't use that. Strength of four is fine. Defense of five, well, you probably add to that in a moment. Attacks of three is great. Wounds of three is great. Courage of six is great. Six might is outstanding. That, that, that is huge. To be able to drop six might in a single go if you absolutely have to is great. But also to be able to use it to influence the game for that long and be able to supply Mary and Pippin with might, 
really, really good. And the next two stats, I'll just say really quietly to ignore. Will one, fate zero. Ignore those. Ignore those. Don't don't look at those. Uh, Wargear is the armor sword and the horn of Gondor. So the horn of Gondor is once again really frustrating for your opponent because Boromir can blow and he will blow the the horn at the start of the fight phase because he's just constantly blowing on this horn, just constantly trumpeting away burr, 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 every combat, blowing it around just to scare people. And then if there's two or more models in a combat with him, the highest courage value must take the courage test. Now this is sneaky as well because sometimes your highest courage value might not be the one you want to take the courage test. Like, if you've got a low courage value bodyguard in there, no, too bad. It's got to be the highest courage, which is which is a bit bit sad sometimes. But anyway, I think maybe it should be the person that has the best chance to pass the courage test. Anyway, if the test is passed, the combat's fought as normal, so then Boromir just kills you in combat. And if it's failed, Boromir kills you in combat anyway because he wins the fight and you cannot, uh, he can't strike blows. And this is just a really good, almost defensive ability. So it just means that He's got another way to win combats. And against Horde armies, it is so good. Because often the Horde armies have really low courage. So they just end up losing majority of their fights against him without even rolling the dice. So that's, that's really sad. He's got good selection of actions. March, great. Strike, great. Strength, defense, great. And then he's got options of a horse, which, <laughs> yeah, horse is good. Elven Cloak, good, especially with zero fate. And then a shield, good. Good defense six, and also the shielding ability to throw six dice down if you want to. If you, if you, your horns not going to do it for you, you can do that as well. That said, I, I haven't really seen many people shield with Boromir. It's not really the option people want to do. They want to be chopping things up. But this guy tends to jump around to other armies, especially when allies were a lot better options. You'd see little hundred point Boromir drops all over the place because to be able to drop six points of might into your army for a hundred points with the 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 killing ability of Boromir is always really nice. Yeah, 100% agree, Jeremy. Gone, gone are the days where they, where, where the designers wrote elegant profiles like Boromir. And Boromir is, 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 is one of the top three probably best designed profiles in the game, I think. Boromir of Gondor specifically, not, not so much his uh, ascended white tower form. But having such a, a, an obvious weakness in his will and fate, but specifically because he has that six point of might with one will, it, it creates so many options available to you. It means that you can be aggressive for one turn, throwing forward if you know your opponent only has one spellcaster and know, guaranteed, that you can block one spell and then run in and do an action. Because it only costs five points of might to boost a one to a six. So you know if you're willing to spend that might, you can do some really cool plays with him. And the fact he does have six might means, like you said, Jeremy, he can one-shot... Um, enemy models. I distinctly remember uh, getting Boromir of Gondor uh, into an enemy shade in, in a game and distinctly remember going, right, rolling my dice, winning the combat, rolling my dice room, going, okay, five points of might, take off the shade. And just being able to have that ability if, if of being able to get into a, a key target, rolling your dice and looking at those dice and going, right, if I throw an obscene amount of might here, I can kill kill my target and, and guarantee it and just take him off the board. And having that ability is just, it's it's so good. It's so good. It changes the way not only you as a player can play and changes your avenues of attack, but also means that your opponent has to respect what Boromir can do. And added with his fragility of only that three wounds, defense six with no fate, means that th there are options for your opponent to play around. And I think every game is always more improved if you have a Boromir Gondor on the table because he, he's such a... I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I, he's such a fun model to play with and against. I love playing against 
and with this model. I think you get way too carried away with Boromir as well. Like when I play against Boromir, he's an absolute pincushion. But but you like I know that you can drop five mites to turn a one into a six, but you don't have to, especially when you roll like a five. Just turn that five into the six. Don't spend the five mite, Kylie. Calm down. It's just too much. Don't stop showing it off. Hey, hey, hey. I've only done that once, Jerry, and that was only to prove a point in the game I was already winning. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a power move, that one. That's the ultimate show-off move. If you want to do that one, you know that you've got up against a serious player. So, yeah, is a lot of fun. And Boromir, if you're playing a Fellowship Army, it's it's that Boromir and Aragorn Bash Brothers that are, that are your key targets, your key models. They're doing most of the work, and everyone else is really just letting them go to work and go to town because they can do they can do everything. Hordes, Boromir's got it with his horn. Big monsters, well, yeah, you, you throw his strength four, but, yeah, just, just throw some might away to get the wound and, and just be reliable. And with Boromir and Aragorn doing reliable wounds, Mm. Yeah, big things are going down. Like they, do, you don't want to troll chief to death face up against Aragorn and Boromir because they they'll have a really good go at him and, and take him down in a turn if he's not careful. Just make sure, you, just make sure you, you're protecting those two models because uh, Gandalf Gandalf's protection of the Balar and and his strength and will and his support spells are are pretty much almost guaranteed to go on an Aram Aragorn and a, and a Boromir in most games because of how much bang for your buck you get from it. Being able to shield Boromir and Aragorn from the nastier effects of enemy spellcraft is is worth its weight in gold. And, and like we said, the damage potential is uh, absolutely stratospheric. Making sure you keep it in, in those in those starry heights is, is an absolute priority. So Kylie, can you take us through can you take us through a profile that we pretty much covered in a very recent episode? Pretty much covered. Covered. You mean like two weeks ago for us? Yes, yeah, certainly, Jeremy. It's Legolas Greenleaf, not his Prince of Mirkwood. Just his Greenleaf wandering. You know, go- going over to Rivendell to help out the members of the Fellowship. So for a hundred points, bit of a bit of a nerf. These points have gone up ever so slightly. He has the Elf of Mirkwood Infantry and Hero Keywords. He is a hero of Valor. Uh, for his stats, he has a movement of six. Uh, fight value of 6, shoot value of 3+, plus. very good there. Strength 4, defense 4, as we all know. 2 attacks, 2 wounds. Nice uh, stats there. Courage 6, and for might, he has 3 might, 2 will, and 3 fate. So, pretty handy there. For Wargear, he has Elven Made Daggers and an Elf Bow. For actions, he has just the accuracy and the strike. And for options, he has a horse for 10 points, armor for 5 points, and Elven Cloak for 5 points. For special rules, he has Woodland Creature, as all Elves do. And finally, his signature special rule, Deadly shot. Legolas may fire his bow three times in the shoot phase rather than once. Each of these shots may be made against a different target. Alternatively, Legolas may instead choose to make one shot. But in this case, the shot will always hit on the roll of a 2+. Regardless of in the way test, if the target is engaged in combat or any other factors including modified magical powers and so forth. If Legolas uses this one shot to target a cavalry model, he may choose whether he hits the rider or the mount. This thing is amazing. I will get into this special rule in a moment, but I forgot he picked up an extra special rule coming into the new edition. Final count 42. If Legolas and Gimli are in the same army, then keep track of how many models they have both killed. If at any point Legolas has fewer kills than Gimli, then Legolas' shoot value is improved by one. This is so good, Jeremy! This is such a handy, fun little special rule, and it's really particularly good if you've got two uh, two players controlling the members of the Fellowship, because you can definitely do some some keeping count shenanigans with Legolas and Gimli. Really good when you want to rope in friends and stuff into a scenario-based game, but Legolas, I mean, we talked about him last, last episode. 
he is really that good. He is amazing. He is, but he's one of your more fragile members of the fellowship, so watch out. Defense four, or you can up it to, to five if you want, is still pretty low. Wounds two are pretty low as well. Yeah, I mean, fragility fragility aside, like, yes, Lewis is one of those members of the fellowship that has a tendency to go down alongside um, Merry and Pippin, but if you're making sure he's, he's not fighting silly combats, maybe only taking on one or two goblins, he can reliably kill a goblin or two um, uh, early in the game and making sure that he's able to, you know, supply you know just some extra peel extra extra hitting power is, is quite handy but i think the the big part of legolas in the fellowship is that he provides some uh to, to, to take one of your phrases jeremy he provides some much needed artillery he's he's there to pick off some key target maybe thin out the numbers a bit um or and soften up the army just just a fraction so that when you do get into combat with you know the likes of your aragorn your gimli and your boromir you can actually chop through the army pretty pretty easily definitely does some work Legolas and and uh, his shooting power is so so worthwhile in this fellowship army so we've got his friend Gimli well didn't start off as friends but became good friends Gimli son of Gloin 100 points he's a dwarf from Erebor an infantry hero of Valor five of six he's got to move into five that that makes a difference for the fellowship uh strength of four he's got a four plus shoot value which you will use defense of eight so he's uh, got the highest defense that you've got as you'd expect he's got two attacks which I usually use as three attacks later on Two wounds, courage six, and then three might, two will, two fate. So a good profile all around. He's got heavy dwarf armor, which explains his defense eight. He's got a master forged two-handed axe, so plus one to wound is really nice. And then two axes or and throwing axes as well. So his heroic actions are strike and strength, and his options are a cloak. So he's got his axes of the dwarves. At the beginning of each fight, he could choose to either use his two axes or his master forged axe. So he uses two axes, he gets three attacks. And I think a lot of the time, if he's fighting on his own, three attacks is the way to go just to win the fight. But if you're fighting with friends, two attacks can be a pretty decent option as well just to just to finish them off and get the kill. And he's also got that Legolas rule where he's sitting pretty on 43. And this one I really, really like. If Legolas is ahead of then him, so he's got fewer kills, the Gimli gets one plus to wound in combat. So that is absolutely huge. So I really like Legolas to get lots of wounds early on so Gimli gets powered up. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting the way that, that those two models uh, interact. Legolas usually gets ahead early because of his kill count, which powers up Gimli. Gimli then gets into combat, kills a whole bunch of models, gets ahead of Legolas. And then late game, when models are starting to run away or trying to go for objectives, Legolas then gets powered up so he can pick off models on objectives. So it's it's a really, really beautiful way the two models interact in that regard. But yeah, just being able to get plus one to wound is 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 just absolutely scary, Jeremy. Uh, particularly uh, if he goes uh, two handed too with his master forward axe, getting plus two to wound, like defense eight suddenly isn't scary anymore. You're wounding defense eight on force. Defense eight, you can walk up to a troll chieftain and wound him on hmm. force. That's 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 arduous levels of 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 of, of silly. Uh, you're not thinking. You're not thinking high enough, Kyle. Go up against like a a defense four model, and you're getting two plus to wound. So normally it'll be. What's that? A four plus? Getting it to a two plus? Oh, now you're talking. What model in the game has lots of wounds and fate for you to really justify needing the two plus to wound? Oh, I just like the reliability. It's just fun. <laughs> just to show off. It's a power move. Knowing, knowing you, Jeremy, you'll still roll ones. Yes, yes, I probably will. But that's why I've got might. So I've got might. Yeah, one of the things I, I like about Gimli in the Fellowship, this um, either for points, might or for scenarios, is he's he's the tank the the uh, Fellowship needs. Yes, they have a lot of aggressive options and, and 
although that said, Gilly is still very aggressive, uh, in uh, uh, Aragorn and Boromir. Having a dedicated model that you can, you know, send into a troll and not strike and still have a good chance of, of surviving or being able to send in to a couple of captains and know you could probably uh, take a hit or two is very very handy and being able to you know throw Gimli into a space clog it up and use his defense 8 to, to tank out some 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 wounds I think is something that is often understated with the fellowship and something that the fellowship quite honestly really needs because having a, a tough hard to kill model can be your backbone, your linchpin, and, and the point where you pivot around in in order to to keep your opponent, you know, on the back foot and, and keep yourself in the game. Here in Gandalf are your, are your tanks, so oftentimes they're just the ones holding up some lines while the others get to do some work and and doing all the protection roles. So Gimli does provide a really val val valuable role for for the fellowship. So Kylie, can we move on to our first hanger on our pony Bill? Yeah, Bill's Bill's bit of a, a an interesting one. He's twenty five points. Uh, he has the pony infantry and hero keyword. He's an independent hero, and he has the uh, slight caveat that it can only be included in the army list so long as you include. Uh, include Sam. His war gear is iron shod shoes, so just uh, basically just a, a hand weapon uh, uh, are there. But where he comes into his own is his uh, special rules. Uh, he has official rules, which is a uh, official meals, which is a passive ability. Hobbit models treat Bill the Pony as a banner. This is really really handy, super useful, particularly in the Fellowship list that doesn't have access to a banner, and it gives more options uh, and uses for the Hobbits. Uh, second one is second breakfast. Uh, each turn, a single member of the fellowship that ends their move in base contact with Bill the Pony may attempt to regain a point of might, will, or fate spent earlier in the battle. Roll a dice and the score of a five plus. The point is restored. So that is another regenerative effect. Very useful for models such as Gandalf, uh, Legolas, Gimli. Very, very, very useful there. And finally, only a pony. Bill the Pony may never charge an enemy model for any reason, and no other models may use the standfast. He may, however, benefit from the standfast of a friendly Hobbit model. Very, very cool profile. I just realized I never actually said his profile. So for, uh, for his stats, he has a movement of 8 inches, eight inches uh, fight value of 1, shoot value of 6+. plus. not sure what you're going to do with either of those two, but hey, that's what he has. Uh, he's strength 3, defense 4, uh, 1 attack, 2 wounds, which is kind of nice. Uh, courage 3, and for Might, Will, and Fate, he has 0 Might, 1 Will, and 1 Fate. All in all, handy little profile. Yeah, and, and real bargain price for, for banner rolls. I know it's only banner rolls on Hobbits, but that's enough, especially when you're combining with like Mary and, and Pippins being spread out. So you can get a quite cheap little force that allows you to, to power up some combats and, and get them moving and, and get some rerolls in there. The The second breakfast is unreliable, but really really powerful especially i think gandalf is is a really good target for that one to be able to do that but also when someone like a legolas is in combat and then just has to use all the might to win a combat so to prevent dying that's where you just put him in the back lines uh moving him into base contact with bill try to get some might back and just use your shooting as well just to auto hit and away you go so bill is a very very useful addition to the, the fellowship and if you're just taking sam he's probably just a useful addition as well it helps out quite a bit if it's just sam as an ally maybe it loses a bit of the, the usefulness for it but um but yeah bill bill does his job in the fellowship and and survives and, and does all that cool stuff so so bill good option and now we've got a forge or bill model as well so it's a nice pony model not just the old one the old one's okay but it's not great the the new one's a little bit better yeah no i agree with that and 
we'll get into a bit in the Keep It Secret, some of the stuff that you need to keep in mm. mind when I'm uh, to, to proc the uh, second breakfast. But yeah, definitely, definitely agree with the, with, the, with the newer model being a much nicer sculpt. But the next kind of add-on, Jeremy, you want to uh, bring us through our de facto Hobbit. Yes, yes. So we've got, when you take Frodo, you can get Smeagol. So Smeagol is a well-behaved golem, of course, for 30 points. Expensive golem for 30 points. Although golem's not free anymore, so that, that's all good. Uh, Hobbit Infantry Independent Hero, which is which is nice. Because, of course, these independent heroes, you can plug them in with their, their guardian heroes as well. So that's that's obviously, well, not obviously, it's it's what you want at this level. So we've got a movement of five. So, so a fast little guy. We've got a fight of four, four plus. Four plus you won't use, I don't think. So you've got strength of four, you've got defense four, two attacks, which is good, two wounds, courage four, which is pretty handy. One might, zero will, one fate. So a useful point of might. Um, he's never considered unarmed, which can be good as well. So always counts as having a, a hand weapon, essentially. Cave dweller, which is can be very occasionally a good rule. And then he's got a servant of the precious, which is just a restriction. He can only ever come with Frodo's in the same army. So this Smeagol is not like Gollum where he has the ring. So he has a lot less use than the evil ones, but you've still got a profile that that's pretty low cost for a couple attacks and fight four, which is which is nice if you're going for a little uh, Frodo and Sam Smeagol theme to add into another army because he he does help it out quite a lot with strength four and fight four. So he's okay. He's all right at thirty points. He's not 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 terrible, but he's not something you're just going to say I must take this model either. Yeah, I like him as a bit of a shock troop uh, when you're allying the, the two Hobbits and Smeagol into an army list. He's very good at operating around terrain features because he has that cave dweller special rule plus one to go over um, uh, the, the, the jump and climb tests and, and being able to move a little bit faster through rocky terrain is also very helpful there. Um, being able to like be opportunistic with him and you know maybe just you know go for those one or two kills um, every time pick off a, a model here and there on a flank or, or or in some hard to navigate terrain can be very handy because for 30 points, you know, he, he operates a bit similarly to a Ranger of the North or, or maybe even like something like a Damrod or that that can, you know, lead a small contingent uh, off on a flank and, and maybe go for a capturing an objective or, or being annoying or something like that. Uh, very, very handy. Um, Smeagol can be, you know, just, just running around and, and just being annoying. And he can draw some fire too, particularly with these zero will points. Creating a, a semi-annoying semi threat can pull a spell or two um, towards the late game, which can pull some pressure off your other heroes. Mm, now, Kylie, I've got one more secret profile that I'm going to get you to read because this is one of your favorite characters. In the FAQ, in one of the, the more recent ones, you can take Arwen as a hero, as a minor hero, if you take what? Aragorn in the fellowship list. Are you for real right now? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, so no, she's no, a minor no. hero. No way. So. I, I, are you serious? Holy yep. cow. That is... So if you've got Aragorn Strider, Fellowship Army can include Arwen. So so that's a pretty decent choice. So can you just flip Whoa. around your book, find Arwen, and uh, just remind us what Arwen does? Yeah. Um, okay. That's that's a bit of a surprise. A welcome surprise. But okay. Um, I'm, I'm just going to get into the this, this profile whilst I get a, a bit of my shock here. Um, okay. So uh, Arwen, um, um, is it Undumiel? Did I pronounce that right, Jeremy? Undumiel. Okay, yeah. So start yeah. Yeah, all right. So, so Arwen, 60 points. Uh, Elk, Rivendell, Infantry Hero, Keyword Hero of Fortitude. Uh, movement of 6 inches, uh, Fight 6, Shoot Value of 3+, plus, Strength 3, Defense 3, 
one attack, two wounds, and courage, six. So a bit of a mediocre profile, but five, six is handy there. Uh, Perk stats, she has one might, four will, one fate. Very, very good there. Uh, War gear, Elven Maid Sword, which is, you know, Elven Maid, anything is always, always nice. Heroic action, she has Heroic Resolve, Heroic Channeling, and Heroic Defense. So very useful uh, Heroic actions there, particularly the Channeling, as we'll get into with her Magical Powers. For options, she can take Ashvalos for 10 points, a regular Rock Horse uh, for 10 points, but I don't think Gorford is probably going to be showing up too much, so Ashvalos it is. El an Elven Cloak for 5 points, and finally her special rules are Expert Rider, and Woodland Creature, as every elf uh, has the Woodland Creature, of course. And finally, Magical Powers. She has the Wrath of Bruinen for a casting of 4+. That is amazing. Oh my god, we get Arwen in the Fellowship list. Yeah, that opens up a lot of options. Yes, and I like to think that was from the community and not just us complaining about how the Alliance rules ruined a lot of really thematic alliances. So the movie scene when Arwen comes and saves Aragorn and the Hobbits, now you can take that as a whole army if you want. And I guess from a from a tactics point of view, uh, she gives Gandalf someone to strengthen the will quite nicely to. That's a, it's a good option in that, that way as well. So you've got a, got a good profile here, another spell cast, which is really nice, another high fight model. Yeah, she doesn't have many attacks, but sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need another body to go do work. And she's she is not too bad a price. 60 points is not not dirt cheap, but she does a whole lot for six points. So a woodland creature, the elven made sword is nice. Heroic defense can be handy if you need to. Channeling can be really nice. Uh, the Raffa Bruinen, the Raffa Bruinen is really solid. She's got a cheeky resolve if you need to. So she does a lot of work for the fellowship and and a really nice addition. I, I really like this. I'm glad this came out in the FAQ in secret. Like I said, it opens up a lot of doors. Like. As, as I talked about in um, the podcast before, having double spellcasters is really helpful because it allows you to throw one spellcaster forward, drop their spell, flush out the will, and then the second spellcaster can come in for the coup de grace. Um, having that option in a fellowship list, I think, is very, very, very useful um, because you have you know big high damage threats like Aragorn and Boromir. Backing it up with two spellcasters is insane. Uh, particularly too, you can channel your your Wrath of Bruden and get some crazy damage off on hordes, or even just normally Wrath of Bruden is really good on hordes. So having in that extra body is is amazing. Now I would say for sixty points, she's bargain basement dirt cheap in a standard you know front to back Riverdale army. In an all hero army like the Fellowship, not so much uh, because you you know you're not. You need those multiple attack models to, to keep your army um, surviving and fighting and having another almost one attack babysitting model that you have to, you know, you know, divert someone like, you know, a Legolas or a Gimli to, to, to make sure that she stays alive can be a bit of a drain on, on your resources to keep around because if anyone's played uh, with the Fellowship or with very, very important one, one attack models in their army... Having too many of them can be very, very hard to protect. I, I learned that the the hardware, particularly with playing with Florence Company as well, um, protecting the, the the little ones um, can be can be can be a bit of a pain. So adding an extra one could prove could prove to be disastrous if you're not careful. You've got to really weigh up the 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 options for this one as well, because if you're going for a pure hero list, you need those high attack models as much as possible. So you've got to you've got to include those ones, but I just love this for for themed sort of armies and and even themed alliances and having just Aragorn, Arwen, 
tag team moving around means that in theory you could put them in into like your Gondor army, Kylie, and actually have them together in the army, which would be really cool. Yeah, and totally not something I haven't done already for yeah. a tournament <laughs> that came up that I got special instructions to be able to do. Yeah, it's it's certainly making my cheese option for uh, a narrative event that kind of wasn't a cheese option, but was a cheese option. Uh, less cheesy now because it's an actually an option. So you know what, Jeremy, mm. I don't feel at all bad for taking my Aragorn and Arwen uh, uh, little combo to Silmarilli uh, anymore. So yeah, I'm very happy, and I'm definitely gonna have to try this combat combo out on the table at, at some point very soon. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm looking looking forward to it. There's a lot of options in the Fellowship, and, and the Fellowship is is that key part of the Lord of the Rings. The story is about the Fellowship. It's about Frodo, and it's about about these members of the Fellowship and their journey. So it's fantastic to put them on the table, and it's good that we've got all these new rules to make them more attractive to play. So I guess we get, we've got lots to talk about in Tactics, Kylie. So let's put that into our our next segment. Now we bring it into Keep It Secret, where we go through lots and lots of tactics, and and I don't. We should have really named this segment something else because we definitely don't keep it secret. We we definitely just spill the beans on absolutely everything. So we're going to focus initially on working with the fellowship as a team, as a as a fellowship, as all nine, and then possibly what happens when you drop out certain members for for theme or scenario or for for your points match or whatever, or maybe even touching on a legendary legion, just to see what happens when certain elements disappear. So the Fellowship, you've got quite a high points level already gone. So if you're playing the Fellowship, you're probably playing against a pretty decent-sized army, or you could be playing in a scenario. Now, in a scenario, they often make it a little bit easy for you, don't they? Because what they do is they, they split the force up and feed it to you slowly. So you're coming on, there, and they're coming over time, over time, over time. Whereas in a points match game, you usually get hit with everything at once. So there's a bit of a different tactic there. So Kylie, I want you to go through for me the basic roles of the members of the Fellowship. And so just, just to start out with what their, what their job is when they're in the Fellowship army. And I think you should start with, uh, start with the, the, the tough guys, the, the linchpins, the ones that are really important, and then go back to the ones that are essentially just filler. So I'll let you go for that, and I'll, I'll chime in when I agree or disagree or or just wanted to make a snarky comment. Go for it. Fair enough. It sounds that sounds like a, a good approach to this, uh, I think, Jeremy. But I think the, the the two big main centerpiece members of the fellowship that we really do need to talk about is Gandalf and Aragorn. They provide two different things. So Aragorn, for one, he's your mainstay. He he is the center point point of your army. He is the linchpin. He is the guy that does the most work, whether that be calling heroic actions, uh, chopping up troops either with his with or without his pointy sword of doom, and just been generally being a good pivot point in the army, uh, you know, running into to big scary things, calling strike-ups. Gandalf, on the other hand, he's your crowd control. He's the one that's controlling the enemy troops as much as possible and trying to, like, pin them down and and trying to give you some leverage and, and create openings because that's what your spellcraft ca- can do is give you openings um, to, you know, make a play, maybe go for an attack on, on, on a certain point in your opponent's army. So those are the two big ones. Let's start with Aragorn because I think 
as, as I said, he's, he's, he's the be-all and end-all. The, the main thing to remember with Aragorn is to not having not getting boxed in with the other members of the Fellowship. You need to make sure that you always have uh, different ways of moving him out of danger or into danger to go help out the other the, the other weaker members, so like, a, like a Mary or a Sam or something like that. Making sure Aragorn is mobile, has op options for, for getting into different lanes of attack, uh, and making sure that you always keep using that 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 free point of mind and having an idea of what you want to be using that free point of mind on at the start of kind of each turn. So if at the start of the game, you know, you're squaring off and you want to try and get some chip damage with your throwing axes and your bows, then Aragorn wants to be marching a lot, you know, running around the, the edges, keeping the, the um, fellowship movable because that's really important because it brings your hobbits from um, movement four up to movement seven, which can at that point, you know, maybe just start to outpace some armies. If you're getting close to combat, you probably want to start looking at using that might to maybe not necessarily uh, cause strikes and take down other big targets, but just trying to chop through troops. Out of all the members of the Fellowship, Aragorn is probably the most reliable at actually cleaving through troops. Because if you don't need to strike up, Aragorn can use that free point of might to win combats if he only gets the five, or more importantly, um, if you do get that six, uh, use that free point of might to get some extra wounds down and make sure that he's getting those two kills a turn. If Aragorn's not getting two kills a turn, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, you've really got to keep the pressure on with him. And I agree with that. It's it's very tempted to go like you would in a, in a normal game. If you had a big Aragorn in a troop-heavy army, Aragorn goes after the heavy hitters and starts chopping up heroes. But it's almost the opposite in the Fellowship Army, isn't it? He's your, he's your guy that you just need to be whittling down the numbers constantly and putting constant pressure on. There's plenty of other guys that can go take on heroes and challenge them out. But Aragorn's one of the guys that can reliably, with his with his extra point of might, with his sword, with all his other stuff going, his good amount of attacks, he can just whittle down numbers and, and yeah, kill two guys a turn. Or if you're really aggressive, you can go up to three or four, depending on how you're using your heroics. And and that that's definitely a hugely important role. And you're right, the keeping movement is so important. Because if you if you do box him in where he can only access one model a turn, he can only kill one model a turn. So you need him with some space, but also not enough space where he's going to get totally surrounded all the time. Yeah, a hundred hundred percent agree. And like it, it changes a bit when he's on horse as well, and if not any of the other members of the fellowship on horse, but. For the most part, Aragorn's role, regardless of what equipment options you do give him, is always going to be the same. It's always going to be that troop, troop killer. Because if you're trying to go after big other big scary things, I have two models in, in mind for you. It's called Gandalf the Grey and Boromir of Gondor. Boromir is, is one of those really awkward members of the Fellowship. Because he's so fragile, you actually want to try and you know, use his high damage, high burst potential to really knock something out of the fight really quickly. Teaming him up with Gandalf is a really good way of doing that. Gandalf, you know, with his spells, you know, being able to whittle down, maybe you throw a couple of extra shots in with, with um, Legolas to, to whittle something down, maybe knock off some resources. But if, say, you can get, say, a Troll Chieftain, you know, out of might or something like that, or pinned down with a uh, with an immobilizer or command, you can send Boromir in there with maybe another member of the Fellowship, like the Legolas or a Gimli, and then just go all in, you know, run in, call that strike, or if you need to, maybe you've got the the um the channel uh, transfix down with Gandalf. Go in there, throw all three of your dice, and then just reckless, almost recklessly, throw all of your might into getting that kill. That's what Boromir is really, really good at doing. It particularly Boromir of Gondor is just 
using that snap bang look i have death touch i'm going to make sure all three of my attacks are going to wound because i have six points and might have all this damage potential particularly if he's on horse and just really crack out and knock out something that's a big threat to my fellowship and when you have gandalf in support and in working in tandem with boromir these two pretty comfortably can knock out most models in the game barring something like uh, a sauron or a dragon or a balrog and even then, they can give those models a run for the money, or at least very least slow them down. Yeah, they definitely can. They, they, that's something that, that a lot of armies will have trouble with those really big things, the, the Balrogs, the Saurons, and the, the Smaugs, and all this sort of stuff, dragons, all these fun guys. But the, the Fellowship has a good, good go at it. They've got enough support to be able to go and, and tag someone down. And what your big problem is, is just getting basically surrounded by a whole bunch of grunts and... Sometimes, if that's the case, you have to use... You talked about using Boromir. If I'm going against a, an army that's courage is not the best in the world, that there's maybe a 50-50 that they might fail, or they don't have automatic repasses, sometimes I'll just have to consider just sending Boromir off on his own and let him get trapped and have, let the horn do its work and then spending his might if he's going to lose the combats because he's, like, he's really good at, at uh, going at that, that one target you want to as well, but sometimes you just have to, have to use him in the same way that you... Well, I guess not the same way, but in a way that... That you might use like an Aragorn where it's just go out and take on as many troops as possible and just reduce the amount of, of attacks that the other guys are taking. Hmm. I think that's it's a good, very good point that you make there, Jeremy, that Boromir is a bit like Aragorn in the fact that he can go in and really grind down troops. But I think that the key difference here is that um, is, is looking at your opponent's army and seeing if they have threats that really can reliably take down members of your fellowship i think if if the best your opponent has in their army is say a shagrat then yeah boromir can then go nuts he can he can go into troops and just kill stuff but if your opponent is rocking like i said before like a troll chieftain or a bird or something like that then boromir's role will, will, will have to change a little bit but yeah not don't nowhere no way shape or form counting out his massive damage potential into trip but i think boromir is probably the one member of the fellowship that you really have to have a think about and analyze your opponent's army before you decide what you you're trying to get boromir to do because out of all of the members of the fellowship i think boromir boromir's role is dictated by your opponent's army and or and or what scenario you're playing mm, yeah definitely well Honestly, I think most of the fellowship, your, your key models are a little bit like that as well. Like they, they might have their primary goals, but they also have some other options as well. And you just have to utilize them in every way you can. So we've gone through Aragorn. We've gone through Gandalf a little bit, Kylie, but not, not probably all the way. I've gone through Boromir. So they're, they're your, probably your three main ones, aren't they? They're your, probably, they're your all-stars. They're the big ones. They're the ones that most good fellowship players know how to use. But then you have your second tier and then maybe even your third tier to models to, to deal with. So... Can we have a talk about our, our favorite pairing, the, the friendship group, the Legless and Gimli, and how we can optimize that new rule that we've got going, but also make sure that they don't get uh, hung out to dry on their own? Yeah, Legless and Gimli, I think, uh, it, honestly, these two models are what dictate how well you can play a, a fellowship, I think. Boromir, Gandalf, um, Aragorn, they're, they're pretty point and click. You kind of know what you need to do with them. But Legless and Gimli, I think, requires a slightly slightly bit more finesse, let, let's say. Um, particularly um, getting the maximum benefit as you can out of their final count rule. And in particular, learning what they need to do in a game. So Legolas has, can, can basically provide you two roles. He can either soften up a target or pick off a target like a shaman. He can pretty reliably knock out a shaman before combat if he's given, you know, 
five uh, five or so turns uh, of shooting, but as well he can also thin out some numbers in a very specific area, and that's that's the key there because Legolas is your kind of only reliable source of um, ranged damage in the list. Like Aragorn has a bow, but it, it it's got nothing on a three shot elven bow. You want to. When you're taking the shots, looking at a part of your opponent's army to whittle down. You don't just want to go fire willy-nilly into the into the center of an army. You want to be looking at like the flanks or a small task force or a small group. Because if you peg three shots into say a group of ten orcs and a captain that are sitting on a flank, and you can manage to knock them down to say six orcs and a captain, well, when your fellowship, if you can outmaneuver your opponent, gets there in time, suddenly you can knock out all those seven models in a single turn and then slingshot your your fellowship forward a lot faster. So that's the kind of stuff that you want to be looking for leglets. And getting that that kill lead, even if it's just one or two pips up on Gimli, can really help Gimli once combat comes because because Gimli is an absolute machine. That's right. And look, I, I really like that that competition they've got going, but I think you've got to really make sure you don't get obsessed with it because sometimes you can lend yourself to, to making some bad decisions to try and flick one ahead of the other the other one. I just sort of let it happen. So I'm when I'm playing Fellowship, if Legolas has got the opportunity to get some early kills, he's going to get it. That's sort of how you're playing it. You need to scare the opponent into thinking that, that your shooting is better, even if it's not. You need to basically make sure that, that Legolas is putting on a threat. He's targeting someone really important or he's thinning down numbers at, at too high a rate or something along those lines. And then he will get the kills. So he'll get the early kills. And that way you've powered up Gimli. And that means Gimli becomes a really decent hitter. So that that can, can help out quite a bit. Now, what will happen then is then eventually Gimli usually gets ahead, doesn't he? So, so if you're playing it really well, you start off, Legolas gets quite a few kills at the start. Well, maybe not quite a few, maybe a couple. Then Gimli gets a few, so Gimli, Gimli's ahead. And that gives uh, Legolas a special rule. And that special rule, does that work with his um, 2 plus to hit Kylie? Is that something that works with that? Or am I imagining that? As rules as written, I would lean I would lean a little bit more to it doesn't, which I think is really silly. Um, but I, if I'm playing a casual or friendly game with, with mates, I will always let let Legolas boost that to basically an auto hit mm. um, if he's behind on kills. I think we need to just um, just double up on the the FAQ to see if it's actually covered first. So we'll do that. We'll do that before I think the end of the, the segment. We'll, we'll report back and, and see what's going on there because I do think that's one to to look at because it does make a difference. Because there's also like, do you like? Yeah, yeah. Does it does moving affect it? There's lots of things going on there, so we need to just make that 100% sure. But either way, getting getting bonuses is very useful. But you just got to make sure that you don't get too obsessive with them. And and um, I like I like Gimli's to power up. I like Legolas to be on higher kills. But the problem is that 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 just makes Gimli get higher kills as well, which is a nice problem to have. But it does get rid of that pretty quickly as well. So those those ones are really good. What I do like about Gimli is that he's one of the few members that can just walk into something that's like a, a troop level guy and just say, I'm not too worried. I'll just let I'll let you win the combat. Whereas most of your other fellowship members, you don't really want to lose a combat. Boromir doesn't like to lose a combat. Aragorn, you prefer not to lose a combat. Legolas, you don't want to lose a combat. Any of the hobbits, no 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 losing combats. But but Gimli, you lose a combat, a lot of times you just say no, I'll just take the wounds. Because his defense is at that high enough level where it's just not reliable for your opponent to, to go and, and give you the wounds. So I think he's he's got his real uses in that way where he can just 
pick a well, not really a corner of your fellowship, but he can pick an area and just go that that tank mode. Gandalf's also a good one at doing this job as well, where all their job is to do is just just hold up and just slow something down. And he's particularly good at slowing down just like that captain or mid-level hero. So even a Faramir-level hero, just walking into him and just saying, look, we'll duel it out, and you'll just take a long, long time to kill me. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And and that's what Gimli can be really, really good doing, is stalling out your opponent's, like, big scary stuff. Like, we all know that Gimli, Boromir, and Aragorn are troop killing machines but it's it's when you're you're pivoting away from that that really sets them apart and, and like you said jeremy gimli is absolutely amazing at grinding out one thing i think uh that takes special mention of gimli is always looking for those opportunities with those throwing axes those throwing axes can can save games when you when you might might otherwise lose it because getting a really crucial kill in a very specific spot to gain access to say a shaman or a banner can can be absolutely game changing. It can even at times I've 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 had it untrap other models of the fellowship simply by being able to go in, get the throwing weapon kill, and then being able to move in and pin another two models. So always look for those throwing weapons to create opportunities that your opponent might not otherwise be be aware of because one of the great things uh kind of the things that a lot of players don't really think about is that when they're planning and setting up their battle line they're not expecting a throwing weapon kill to come out of somewhere and with three points of might behind Gimli if your opponent is sloppy you can force and create that opening to be able to go for those those really cool interesting players where you you're able to pick off you know a high priority target so always keep that throwing weapon in the back of your mind with comboing it especially if you combo it up with um, other uh, little quirky things uh, such as uh, Gandalf spells or possibly even an auto hit from Legolas uh, if, if you've got it set up right. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. He's a, he's a good lead-off model. Because of that throwing weapon, you want to be using it every time you get to charge. And with the Fellowship, you get to charge a lot because a lot of times you actually spend a point of might from someone, often Aragorn, but but the others as well are, are all good at this, of just choosing a, to move first so you can set up your little defensive wall around your hobbits to make sure you're protecting them and make sure that you've chosen all the targets. Boromir's fighting the right person. Gandalf's fighting the right person. Aragorn's fighting the right person. So you, you move first. Gimli's a good one to, to make sure you're getting that lead off because oftentimes if you go at a target where you just see that little hole opening. You see that opportunity. Um, I like to go at big base models. My favorite is to go at a cavalry model or to go at a wag or to go at anything that takes up a lot of space and just knock it out. And then, then you can start causing problems because eventually you might get to a point where your hobbits can just sneak in behind Gimli and then end up fighting only like maybe two hobbits against one model, which is ideal for them. So Gimli does do that line disruption. And sometimes he does most of his kills just with that throwing axe instead of in combat. If you're doing that jump into as I said before, Faramir, he just throws his axe in and then jumps into combat and then they just they just draw it off and end up not not wounding. But then you just rinse and repeat, do it again, and just pick off the wounds off the charge. Now, it's not reliable, but the Fellowship takes a long time to do things, so these things do happen. Mm, and it can be absolutely beneficial for you, for you too because when you have, you know, a Gimli, uh, a Sabiano, get those extra chip wounds off, it, it can help you if you can get the opening for a heroic combat or something with you and maybe an Aragorn or a Faramir to be able to get, sorry, Aragorn or a Boromir to be able to get into one of those characters um, and be able to finish them off. Because one of the things that you will often find is that Legolas and Gimli are usually guarding your flank, you know, 
usually intermixed uh, amongst the hobbits and, and helping to peel for them. So being able to get an extra cheeky kill off um, here and there can be can be really helpful when you're trying to grind out a game. Mm. Now, I will say one thing. While we're still on Legolas and Gimli at the same time, don't get too excited about Legolas' combat ability because I find that when I'm playing the Fellowship, he tends to be one that dies pretty early on. And it's usually to just two attacks, two basic attacks. So I try, when I'm playing well, I try to protect him because his defense is at that point where just a couple lucky shots can can really sort him out. And you don't really want to be spending his might just winning combat. You want to basically save it for something really good, like the final wounds on a hero for your, your auto hit shot or, or something else along the way that's really effective. Just staying alive, that's, that's the, the most disheartening way of spending might in the Fellowship. But you have to do it at times. You have to just spend that. So just be careful with Legolas. He can he can hold his own, but he's not not invincible. Whereas sometimes Boromir, Aragorn, Gimli, even Gandalf feel like they can take on the world. Like you feel like, yeah, nothing's going to get through them until I'm out of might, until I'm out of everything. Whereas Legolas, just a lucky shot occasionally can take him out. So just, just be wary of that. Yeah, 100% agree, Jeremy. Sometimes I even just, especially early game, will only throw Legolas into one model at a time because... The amount of times I've lost Legolas to just two wounds from just some basic strength four troops is is too numerous to count, Jeremy. Too numerous to count. And three fate, it's it's good for a little while, but it's 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 not a permanent stay, especially if early on you've used your might to to chip off some wounds or pick off a, a target like a shaman. Mm. Yeah, well yeah, that's it, isn't it? He's often the one that spends his might early on for like effective shooting. So when you've done that wound roll, you've got your hit on it, and it's just two points of might will take off a model. Okay, I'll do that. But then, then later on, it comes back to bite you, and you end up end up trading your legless for that shaman at the start of the game. So you just got to be careful of that. Now these ones, this moves us on to our our favorite members of the fellowship. Well, maybe maybe our favorite members, the hobbits. Now the hobbits are quite tricky to use, I find, Kylie. And when we're playing on hard mode for our our scenarios, which we've talked about before, where we play a fellowship scenario and the ultimate winning condition is to not lose a member of the Fellowship, just to keep them all alive, full story mode, achieve the objectives, and don't lose them. These guys are pretty tough to protect because Frodo, Frodo's got some staying power. Frodo's, Frodo's got the staying power. He's got the ring. He's pretty pretty decent, although if you, you pretty much a lot of times game over if you'll lose him, especially in scenarios. Sam is, is aggressive because he can get free heroic combats now. But he's not particularly strong. He's not particularly damaging. He's just, he's a good model that, that wants to be fighting and that can get him in trouble sometimes. And then you've got Merry and Pippin, which are almost a penalty. Like they, they're they there to to get in the way and stuff you up and be be annoying. They they can be a real detriment to your fellowship. And, and I know that I've seen people play points match games where they just left them at home and, and I don't necessarily blame them. I think that's, that's probably a, a reasonably safe option. They do have the bonus of Boromir. That can be very useful. But still, they are very easy to kill, and and even just a single orc can take them out, and and every combat you play with them is stressful. So you often spend up a lot of resources just to keep them alive. So let's talk about the hobbits, Kylie. What's your strategy with our hobbits? Well, I think we'll we'll start with the the weaker of the four hobbits, uh, Merry and Pippin. I think think they still provide a fair bit to your list, particularly being able to use them to position out uh, heroic uh, moves. And, uh, you know, being called from Boromir's might, and particularly uh, for their throw stones too. Uh, if you're up against a, an opponent's army that doesn't have shooting, you know, a couple of extra throw stones a turn can be quite useful. And, and just, just to pepper off and, and maybe get an extra, extra 
extra sh uh, shot uh, at odds here. I wish they had two fade, but alas, they don't. But I think the main thing that you kind of need to look at when, you, when you're playing Merriam Pippin is keeping him next to another member of the Fellowship to act as a bodyguard. Um, hugging him, keeping them hugged up next to terrain, and keeping next to their bodyguard is a really good way of, of keeping them alive. Uh, so long as they have a couple of the bigger burlier members to you know help peel or or just be there as as a supportive presence is going to go a long way of keeping them alive. Particularly now that um uh, Bill now uh, acts as a banner to them um, and being able to use Boromir's might means that there are some options there for comboing out certain abilities and stuff. Maybe you can do combat strikes and, and, and some other fun things like that. So always look for those kind of little opportunities. But yeah, the, the main one is keeping them next to terrain and keeping them next to their dedicated uh, uh, bodyguard hobbit. Yeah, one of the moves I like to do with them, especially with Boromir around, but, but Aragorn as well, is to, to get the hobbits, that, that Merry or Pippin, to charge just two, two generic troopers. And then right next to them, have your, your hero that's going to call the heroic combat, like your Aragorn. And that way, your first combat can be against one and be incredibly reliable. And then you can just go and, and move it so that you go and engage the, the, one of the ones that the Hobbits has taken on a bit later to help out. And if you do this from both sides, you can get to the point where the Hobbit's got a friend supporting from, from one of the sides. So it can be very useful. You can also set it up if you're clever so that the Hobbit's got a, a trapped model. So when the, if they do win the combat, when they do win the combat, if they do win the combat, they've got a good chance of taking something out as well and, and helping out. But they, they can be challenging to use. They're often in the back, but then if you don't get to to find some terrain, you often end up just making this real real sort of ring around them. Frodo often ends up taking a model on. He's got to be able to tank something and he's got the ring, so that's helpful. But yeah, Merry and Pippin, I often find they're just inside a circle where everyone else is fighting and they're they're stuck in the middle trying to avoid things as much as possible. Yeah, I honestly uh, find that can be the case as well. But I think one of the things that you kind of, kind of got to get kind of through your head when, when with the with the fellowship, particularly with the hobbits, is th though they seem weak, they can provide opportunities. And I think so long as you get yourself into that mindset of you know th thinking about them in a way of hey, I can still use this model. There's still a model I can use and and create opportunities with, um, I think goes a long way to actually making making them useful because the amount of times I just say I, I see players playing the Fellowship, particularly the, the, the Legendary Legion version um, uh, um, of Breaking of the Fellowship, and I'm just basically discounting Mary and Pippin. I'm like, but they can do a, a bit for your list, particularly if you've got the Elven Cloaks. Like, you can have them, you know, just hiding behind some terrain features and, and going for some extra throw stones, just being annoying annoying and, and flirting around the back. You can even use them as bait to force your opponent to come in onto a target where they think, oh, I can go in and hurt combat off these guys or, or something like that. And then suddenly Aragorn turns on them and goes after the models or that, that are trying to break through on, on, onto the weaker hobbits. Mm. And look, the ideal thing, if you're in combat with them, ideally the best case scenario is to have one teamed up with just 20 big hitters, as you said. Like, So have one in combat with Gimli or with Legolas or with, with Boromir or with, with anyone, with Gandalf, and just help you win those combats. Because then they are not a problem at all if they win combats. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with them. But it's just when they lose those combats that they become 
the 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 target of it. So you you can use them, but I do think it's really fun to use them. And I think it does give a fellowship its character. So learning to use them is good fun, and it, you do feel really proud, don't you, Kylie, when you keep them alive and they do something useful, like they they get you an objective or they get a real key kill or they they even just kill a normal model and then you, you get excited or they throw a stone and it works. So they are they are useful to to use those those small ones. Now Sam Sam is very useful. So can you kind of go into a bit more detail about Sam, Kylie? Yeah, so Sam, Sam, I, I, I like to think of Sam as, as a bit of a, a bit of an everyman. He's kind of this uh, quirky little uh, guy that can set up opportunities because he gets that free heroic combat. You can do some really powerful things if you're teaming him up with, say, a Boromir or a Gimli uh, or an Aragorn. Although generally, I don't find he, he teams up with Aragorn too much because Aragorn's off doing other things. But definitely, uh, a Gimli, a Legolas, or a Boromir, I often see him being teamed up. You know, calling some funky heroic combats too. But more importantly, because he has the heroic strike, you can use his two might to occasionally get the pip over another captain. And if you got all the uh, your hobbits nearby, I have seen Frodo and Sam being able to take down a captain that they've got trapped just through going the strike up with, with Sam and, and, and burning a couple of might points there. Because those two might points can turn your what is effectively your strength two into for at least one turn, one of your strikes being a strength six. So always look for those those little those little opportunities where you might be able to get a pinch on, on something a bit scary and then use Sam to be able to bring them down too. The other thing I think that we haven't really talked about much is the fact that you do have a couple of members of the Fellowship, particularly the Hobbits, with two wounds and two fate, which means you can use them as um, uh, to, to steal a term from World of, War Tank, World of Warcraft, uh, use them as an off tank. What this basically means is using them for just a single turn to run into something uh, not too scary. Obviously, they're going to get absolutely um, destroyed if they go up against something like a Bulg or an Azog. But, you know, a captain-level hero or, or possibly, um, you know, maybe a Black Guard or something like that. Something that's that's dangerous and can hurt but is not outrageously, you know, scary with a huge amount of damage. If you can go into them with, you know, full might and full fate with, with both your wounds still available, you can hold them off for a turn. And sometimes that extra turn of being able to hold off your opponent is just enough time, buys just enough time for, you know, Boromir or Aragorn to get the kills they need in the area, to thin out the numbers, and then consolidate and help out Sam, you know, or Frodo deal with one of those bigger targets. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and oftentimes you can do that as well just with, with Frodo. Have Frodo taking on that big model and then use Sam's special rule to, to jump back in and, and then actually cause him some threats. Because with the ring around, you've got a, a decent chance of winning the combat, especially if you've got some, some guys moving around. And, and if you can use Sam to ship people around and, and get people to to Frodo, that's really good. But yes, yes, a lot of times with the Fellowship, you're looking at their what stats they have left, how many fate they have left, what might they have left, how many wounds they have left, and you're, you're dividing up combats in that way, aren't you? So you're just saying, okay, I'm going against this guy, he's really big, but he's only got two attacks, and I've got a, a good chance that even if he, those two wounds go through, I could save them and survive for the turn. So I'm going to do that. And that that's a lot of times your tactics, just to buy time for your big hitters to, to get there and help you out. And and that's kind of um like to, to kind of move on a bit from Sam, it's kind of what Frodo's there to do as well is is to tie up big hitters and use his 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 ring the the the, the one ring to rule them all 
to, to basically get that soft crowd control, well not soft actually, it's a hard crowd control down, it's, it's, it halves your fight value, get that, that negative debuff down and just be able to stall because defense six with two wounds and three fate is really good at, you know, buying two to three turns. Sometimes even more if you can bring the, the fight value down, you know, fight value down enough because with Sting, maybe you have a Sam nearby with a heroic strike, you can definitely buy a whole bunch of time to allow your big hitters to, to carve up and chop up other models. And then when the time is right or if, if you get a good compel off with, with Gandalf, you can definitely get Frodo into a target, get another big hero into the target and burst it down. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, but there's also a scare factor, isn't there, for Frodo? Because a lot of people, last thing you want is your hero, if you're going against the Fellowship, your hero to be engaged with someone wearing a ring. Because you know that then you've just got nothing you can do when a big hitter comes at you. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the threat of Frodo, what Frodo can do, the threat of the one ring, can be enough to force your opponent to not move into specific uh, spots or positions in your army. Particularly if you live, say, like a... 25 millimeter gap between say i don't know aragon and barmere and just have frodo sitting behind that back where just behind that gap where he can't be charged and go i can just move into that gap and 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 put the ring on and absolutely ruin the day of, of anyone who's in range particularly if they're on a uh, an enemy hero is on a horse um and you have gandalf on the table gandalf simple compel forward you move in, you use half the members of the Fellowship to screen the combat, whilst Frodo, Boromir, and maybe Gandalf, just one shot, you know, that, that big scary hero that, 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 that's trying to get in and do damage to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Kylie, I think before we move on from this, I know Bill the Pony's around, but Bill's pretty pretty much you just keep him around the hobbits and, and do some good stuff with him. You just protect him and keep him with the hobbits. Arwen adds a bit of utility. We talked about Arwen with Gandalf. That's that's some fun. But I want to talk about Gandalf a little bit more because I think we glossed over Gandalf a fair bit. And there's there's actually quite a few ways of playing Gandalf because he's he's got some utility. He's one of your, your models that actually is a real offensive threat because he can he can go and he can sorceress blast away and cause problems that way. He can also throw some rocks down and cause trouble that way. But he can also do that that movement manipulation where my favorite thing in the world is to put a compelled model and just put them an inch away from my lines and just clog up space with them. It doesn't matter what they are, just just to get annoying and, and break things up. So that there's there's definitely some really good options for Gandalf, some really good good ways to use him, Kylie. What what are some of the ways that you use Gandalf? Well, one of my favorite um, kind of play patterns is, is what is the term I'm going to use here, Jeremy, is using as uh, almost as a staller, not not so much um, using compel, but using sorcerous blast. Because one of the things I think a lot of players um, kind of miss a bit with sorcerous blast um, is it not only does it knock you down, but it pushes you back, which means if you can get a uh, basically a three plus on your casting, uh, on your pushback after you've cast a spell, you basically can buy yourself an extra turn of not having to deal with that particular character. Because, you know, you push back, say, four, five, six inches with the Sorcerer's Splash, you knock them down, half the movement to stand up doesn't get them back to where they were. And if you're kiting back, that extra inch, two inch, three inches can be enough space to play around where you don't have to deal with a target, you know, like a troll, you know, like an Azog or a Gothmog or a Suladan or something like that. And that can be really, really beneficial. And I think looking for those opportunities, particularly against those armies that are really 
uh, scary that have these high priority targets and using Gandalf as basically this this model that's basically you know keeping them at the end of this ten foot pole you know just blasting pushback blast pushback all the while you're calling marches with Aragorn you're hiding back and you're having you know Bill sit, stand next to Gandalf to give him some extra resources back it can be a really really frustrating thing for your opponent to have to deal with and looking for the those opportunities to be able to use Gandalf as is. This this shepherd this this person who's keeping you know a big target away from you for a few turns while you kill the rest of the army can be a really fun way of playing it. Do you use the channel terror? Occasionally, yes. If my opponent uh, doesn't have what uh, again, I'm going to coin another phrase here: uh, courage bypass, so a, a means of automatically passing courage tests. I definitely most games will will throw it up even against elves. If I know that my opponent just that there's no way they can pass an auto auto courage then ter- channel terrifying aura just becomes that much more valuable because if they can only get one or two attempts to charge at Gander, and particularly once you've get, gotten um, the Fellowship stuck in with your opponent's army, the opportunities to get in become a lot harder than, you know, two failed courage tests, especially on three dice, is quite likely to happen. Suddenly, that's an extra turn of spellcraft that you might not have had. Yeah, I find in the from a scenario point of view, it's almost you have to negotiate with your opponent at the start of the game because some of the scenarios it just breaks it down entirely. That that channel terror is absolutely huge. So if you're going against like a goblin horde, sometimes you can do that and just play on easy mode with it. So you just got to be careful that way. But in a points match game, absolutely, I would I would agree. Unless unless you've got a real reason you don't think ter- courage is going to come in at all. Then, then get that channel terror going because it's just it's so frustrating for the opponent to try and get into him. Oftentimes they won't bother at all. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree with that one, um, Jeremy. There's there's a few scenarios I know that we've found where the channel terror has basically just completely broken the scenario and made it basically unfun. Um, so definitely keeping an eye out um, for those scenarios. But in a points match, yeah, definitely if your opponent if your opponent's only best courage is safe even for throw it up i mean it, it can save it can save your ass in more than one turn and it can also turn Gandalf into a roadblock too you stick him in the middle of a, a choke point or something suddenly your opponent can't get past it because taking courage just on three dice really sucks <laughs> it certainly does in yeah you almost at that point even with courage four you're just expecting to fail it because it's it's really tough to to get through so so that's a good option you've got lots of options there again and there's definitely more you can restore bits of uh, will around and and do some other fun stuff with Gandalf but but he does that really good good role of of being a bit of a leader model where he he goes away gets in gets in people's faces with his terror and disrupts them with his spells. The nice thing about that terror is of course you get to do more spells and you want to do more spells so yes it costs you some might but to be able to get spells off every turn means that Gandalf is, is really getting huge value out of it. And he could just mean you just drag down a, a transfix, even if it's not channeled. Just a transfix on some model that your hero is going to go against is so worth it because it's, it's got that insurance so they can't strike you. But it's also got that, that point where they can't do the strike. So they, they're stuck at their fight five or their fight six or their fight seven or whatever. And they can't bring it up anymore. And that, that's a problem when Frodo and Aragorn and Boromir and friends are lurking around. Yeah, no, definitely agree on that one, Jeremy. I think one of the other kind of more classic versions of running uh, Gandalf two is is the the. I mean, we all know it. It's 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 the guy sitting at the back doing the doing the crowd control, throwing down those mobilizers and and those commands. So, if if worst comes to worst, you always have this kind of strategy to fall back on. You know, keeping Gandalf in the center of your of your army. You know, 
just keeping him there, keeping him shepherded by the rest of the fellowship and just using him as that really obnoxious, I'm pinning one of your models a turn two. I think one of the things that a lot of players um, don't uh, keep an open mind about is the channeled effects of immobilizing command because those can be um, really, really uh, potent and powerful um, to save yourself some resources, uh, particularly strikes and stuff like that. Being able to use Gandalf's might uh, to effectively save a might on, say, an Aragorn or a Boromir can um, be really helpful down down the road because your combat heroes are going to want their might more than, say, your support heroes like Gandalf. And yes, Gandalf is really good with might too, you know, getting his spells off too, but, you know, throwing a point of might and a uh, channel of command to, you know, get that, you know, half-value fight you down and say a, a, an Azog, I think would be a really great example here, can can really help you because not only would it lock Azog out of calling that um, heroic action, uh, that heroic strike counter strike, but it also means that uh, Azog, uh, uh, the models going into Azog don't have to strike up themselves to get to that fight six. So you can basically just use your might from Aragorn and Boromir to just, you know, go in and, 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 and kill him with, uh, kill him because. The, the difference of might there can be the difference between an extra win that you might not have had. Mm. And if you want to get rid of someone's will, <laughs> channel a heroic, uh, sorry, channel a, um, a compel on them. And then you pretty much have to resist that one. Don't you Kylie? Cause that one's just, just too scary. You just don't know what's going to happen. But if you're anywhere near the, your opponent and someone calls a channel and then tries to compel you, your big hero, you're spending all your might to resist it, aren't you? Cause you know, you're going to be dead if you fail it. Channel compel is one of the scariest things you can come up against in a game. Like, Words cannot describe how many games I've lost off Channel to Compels. And like going back a couple of edition twos, I, I remember when Compel used to just do that automatically. You used to just auto drop your fight, fight value down a half. I remember when it used to just bring your fight value down a one. Um, so yeah, Compel is, is, is your leading spell. It is the spell or the tool that you have that allows you to create opportunities and plays against your opponent. Even a Compel on a generic schmuck uh, it can turn the game around because that can be a heroic combat with half the members of the fellowship moving forward. That can be a heroic combat into a priority target. That can be a heroic combat to reposition. That can be a heroic combat. The possibilities are endless. That, that's the thing of Gandalf as well is that you've got so many possibilities and your opponent's going to do everything they can to just engage him so you don't have all these possibilities. Because if Gandalf's just playing that role as a tank, that he's just in combat, just surviving, you're not getting full value out of him. So so that's why we, we're advocating for the, the terror and the possibly channel terror but also just making sure that you get that spell off a turn where that's where a lot of your heroic moves comes in isn't it where Gandalf has to get a transfix off or has to get a blast off or has to get something really important off so you make sure you call that heroic move with someone you've got plenty of might and then then that that means Gandalf can go and and target a a troll or a a hero or something big that that means you either have to don't deal with this turn or you can just go and assassinate it I think uh, just quickly as well, Jeremy, too, that getting to Revite Aura up is incredibly important, pretty much in any game. Um, I would also just kind of mention to our listeners as well to create that extra turn of opportunity too. If you're playing a uh, scenario where you're starting up really close to your opponent, you need to find a way of basically stepping back for a turn and having that one turn when you're not in combat because... As, as we've said many times in many, many episodes of this podcast, um, there's always an opportunity cost to casting a spell or, or calling it a heroic action. You have, to, you have to ask yourself, 
what am I giving up? Um, and particularly with spellcasters, um, when you're putting up auras in very high tempo, highly aggressive games, sometimes in some situations it can be more beneficial to get uh, a command off uh, instead of on turn one than it is to get the terrifying aura up. So if, if terrifying aura is going to be a big part of your strategy against a particular opponent, you need to be able to set up in such a way where you're able to create that extra turn you need to maneuver and for Gandalf to you know, all right, click, click, I've got the terrifying aura up, or click, click, I've got the blinding light up. And I think that's super, super important to remember. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sometimes you have to set up in a way that you can make sure you've got the two turns to get off those two key spells, and, and you might end up using a lot of your might to get those off, but... Yeah, in a, in a fellowship army, definitely worth it, definitely worth it. Uh, the, the very last thing, I think, before we wrap uh, this little part of the segment up, uh, or this section of the segment, is I think Protection of Valor, I think, is a very uh, big thing to talk about, um, and its ability to save your heroes as a, as a safeguarding model. We always talk about the, the pros and cons of offense versus defense, but Protection of the Valor is insanely powerful as a... Uh, as a defensive spell, uh, looking for those opportunities or, or being able to analyze when protection of the valor is going to be more important to you than casting a uh, mobilize or command on the enemy, I think is a very strong, is a very important thing to recognize. If your opponent has spellcraft, like particularly paralyze, I think is a really good um, uh, spell that you want to be casting protection for uh, or, or to prevent against. Uh, can save your game, particularly with, say, like a Boromir, uh, Boromir and Aragorn, getting that protection down when they go into a scary thing or a scary model or going into a big horde that could kill them, I think is important to to recognize. And, and being able to look out for that protection of the Valor is, is key, particularly if you're playing against the Fellowship too, because there's been a couple of times where I've been caught out by protection of the Valor and went, Oh, right, Gandalf has that that spell that's that's new. So particularly for the older players out there that might be used to the old spell sets, the magical power sets for Gandalf, remember, m- protection of the Valor exists. It is a spell you can do. I fall guilty of that as well. I just go for the transfix and compel all the time. But yeah, protection of Valor is, is particularly good, especially if you've got a Fellowship member. It's, their job is to just take on something big and, and be put in, uh, put in harm. That can definitely help them out. And you're right, Boromir loves it because it gets rid of one of his biggest weaknesses. So, Kylie, let's go on to, to our small fellowships now, because we've talked about all nine all together, but there are times when some of the fellowships are going to get left at home, some of the members. So you might have an army, say, designed around Aragorn, Arwen, and the Hobbits, for example, if you're going for a, that theme. Or you might have, like, a breaking of the fellowship, like the Legendary Legion, or something along those lines, where you're missing a member of that. So which fellowship members, Kylie, I'm going to ask you this way, this way, which fellowship members can you omit, and how does that change your play? Go. All right, I think I think I'm going to start with the obvious one, and I think it's omitting everyone except for Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Uh, I think the three hunters are a very uh, fun way of playing the Fellowship uh, as a very highly aggressive, highly offensive uh, part of an army, particularly if you're using them as an allied contingent for, say, Rohan or Army of the Dead. They can uh, form uh, the form a very uh, offensive kind of tip of the spear kind of uh, part to an army or a solo because one of the great things about running you know an all-hero army of Legolas, Aragorn and Gimli is they're very self-reliant they're not reliant on any other models to bail them out of trouble and if you mount them you can be particularly nasty 
either as a force on their own or a little addition to other armies. And, and that's sort of how they play in that Army of the Dead ally list as well, isn't it? Where they're, they're doing all the work and, and you're moving around. So that, they are a fun combo. And I almost forgot about that. That's that's very thematic. And the, you don't have all the options, but you have a lot less you have to do with them. So it's it's a lot of it's just about letting Aragorn and Gimli do all the combat and Legolas just to make sure that, that people are it's set up in a way that you can go and deal with it when it finally comes. So that, that, that's a really good option there, Kylie. Do you have another one? Yeah, I think uh, the, the next combo I like, basically what I like to call the hit squad, um, it's basically Aragorn, Boromir, and Gandalf. So the ba- the big three mainstays, basically all mounted on horse, allied into a list. Um, it only works at big points, and you can drop one or two of them down. I've seen Boromir of Gondor and just Gandalf the Grey allied into a, like an all like a, a rangery Oscillated veteran force um, from from Gondor. I've seen just Aragorn and Boromir allied into a force with Lothlorien that can be really fun too and can do some really fun stuff because one of the, the, the big things about allying in even just a solo Aragorn or Boromir or them as a tag team is they're very, very aggressive. It allows you to be almost reckless in your playstyle, particularly if you have a, an army of say 20 to 30 models backing them up. They can be that tip of the spear. They can be your initiation tool. It can be the model that you just throw into another model and go, right, I've charged you. I'm going to strike up or right, I've gone into a horde of your tree. I'm going to call her a combat and just knock out four of you guys in a single go. And be able to get that tempo lead with, with slower armies that don't, don't necessarily have the ability to create that tempo, particularly Lothlorien, I think is a really good example of this since they don't have any really high tier mounted heroes, can be a really good way of supplementing your army with some really aggressive, powerful models. I'm sure that's going to show up in our Mastering Army at some point, that Lothlorien and Fellowship combination, because that's really cool where they're, they're going through the woods and, and quite thematic as well. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good option. But, yeah, you're right. The, oftentimes when they're allies, don't they, the horse option comes becomes a real big choice, doesn't it? Yeah, particularly one of the things that's always bothered me a bit too is um, no option to put Gimli as a passenger on Legolas's horse. I think if that 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 particularly to me, has been one of my biggest gripes since since the day dot. I've actually had to get special permission from a TO when I've been 15 points down at tournaments to be able to convince them to go, hey, I'm just taking the three hunters. Do you mind if I use my my old school Legolas and Gimli on horse model and then swap Legolas out for just Legolas on horse when Gimli jumps off and my parents like, all right, my, my, the TO is like, all right, but you can't remount Legolas. Even something like that would be an absolute lightsaber because I think we would see a lot more Legolas and Gimli as a tag team partner included in army lists and creating those fun, quirky lists if you could put Gimli legitimately as a passenger to Legolas's horse. Yeah, that would be but, really cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Legolas is, is another great ally that we see a lot. Um, he's really good at victory point control. Just having a Legolas at the back, his sole job is to go auto hit, auto hit, auto hit, you know, three, four turns in a row against um, the enemy leader. You know, pick up the one VP, maybe the three if you're willing, if you've got the time and the, the resources to be able to, you know, chip wounds off to get those victory points. is a really good, solid way of securing those victory points um, in, in points match scenarios specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they work really well together. 
Yep. So that, that's another option, Carly. What about the the breaking the fellowship model, where you basically you've got everyone bar Gandalf? How does that change it? Because Gandalf does so much in this army. So to play without him and still have to protect the hobbits, let's let's look at it just from a standard tactic overall. And if you play break your fellowship, you can use this in the rules as well if you want. I know that they've got lots of Gandalf like rules, but uh, how would you go without Gandalf? Well, for starters, you, you, breaking the fellowship is uh, from off the top of my head a six hundred point army list. Uh, and you do pick up a couple of extra little tricks and stuff. If you're not playing with it, you'll probably mount it or whatever, and, and stuff gets hinky. But I'm assuming if you're playing Breaking of the Fellowship, you, you have, the first thing you need to think about and really think about is what does my might need to get used for? And kind of you need to make it almost a rudimentary table in your head of what your might is being allocated to. So you might go, all right, my opponent is... Um, playing, uh, say maybe the maybe they're playing Harad, for instance, and they have Suladan. They have a big, they have the um, Golden King, and they have a whole bunch of the choppy dudes with a um, a bunch of archers. And, and you've merely got to think to yourself, all right, Suladan's a problem. I'm gonna at least need two strikes to deal with him. My opponent's got a lot of shooting, so I'm gonna need to make sure that I've at least got a couple of marches uh, under my belt to jog. To jump between terrain features, I'm going to need heroic combats to get rid of the the chop dudes, and I'm going to need might in the back pocket to win combats. So you're probably looking at you know using Aragorn's might for the marches. You're probably going to use a couple of Boromir's might to get the strike ups against Suldar, and you're going to want to make sure that each of your heroes, you know, has two might in the back pocket that you're dedicating specifically to winning combats because you know against you know those big scary. Um, Guys with chop, the plus one to wound, your heroes can go down pretty quickly. So you're going to want to make sure that you're able to win those combats consecutively. So keeping a good stock of your might in reserve to win those combats is impairment. And this is the kind of things you need to think of when you're playing those corner of armies and, and looking at, you know, who's which one of my three big heroes in Aragorn, um, Boromir and Gimli are going to go deal with my opponent's other big scary hero and, and how you're going to play around that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's it's a fun way of playing the Fellowship. And the nice part is that you're taking an army then that you could probably deal with because Gandalf is a is 200 points-ish. Like, he's, he takes up a fair chunk of, of your points in there. And the, the break of the Fellowship, so, well, we'll go into more detail about that one later because I've got, got mixed opinions on that one. But it, it is a really cool theme and it's got got good good abilities and, and other things around. Now, what about the, Kylie, the uh, just dropping all the Hobbits one? Have you seen people do that one? I have, I have. Uh particularly in like competitive kind of stuff, ignoring the hobbits, I think it's a bit of a, a sin at times because you, you lose a lot of your ability to micro. Uh, that's what I kind of like to see, um, particularly the Frodo-Sam-Smeagol combo or even just the Frodo-Sam combo. It's very micro-intensive. If you know how to play around terrain, create little opportunities with heroic combats, Frodo and Sam can be really, really fun way of playing and creating advantages that your opponent might not be expecting. But that said, the mobility is absolutely paramount, particularly in this game. So the amount of times I've seen Boromir, Aragorn, Legolas, and um, Gandalf be basically the core to an all-hero army is is beyond number to count. Those four models, surprisingly, work really, really, really well together as a uh, hitting force because you've got the damage potential with... Aragorn and Boromir, you have the spells from Gandalf to, to crowd control your your opponent, and you've got some a bit of artillery with Legolas. And I, I believe once, um, Jeremy, you you mentioned this to me when we were playing through Thorin's company. You said the the best ratio for playing all hero armies 
is one support hero, two attackers, and one range support. And I think that is, I think, pretty much exemplified with um, these four heroes as, as a solid core. So I think if you're ever looking to play an all-hero army, the Fellowship core of, of Aragorn, Boromir, Gandalf, and Layla is, is a good place to start. Yeah, it's, it's quite forgiving in a way. Like Frodo's very useful and Sam's quite useful as well. But it means that you can just have that turn where you just let the opponent charge you and just, just okay, we'll see what happens. And you just grind just by, by winning combat. So it gives you some, some more options and, and not that, that heart attack stuff where you have to really worry about, about the hobbits going around. So you've got some options there. So let's move on, Kylie. Let's move on to our – we've talked about Fellowship about members. Let's talk about dropping members of the Fellowship into other armies and where we see that just as our final keep it secret stuff so i I've, i'm going to start off with this one boromir of gondor is the, the almost the uh the classic like just dropping in because he is incredible value just if you just look at the six might on a single model like that that's huge value he's got all the the heroics that you need and then you can chuck him on a horse as well with three attacks and a horn he's incredibly useful for dropping into armies that, that he can and and i've seen that quite a lot the only real disadvantage is that he can be like shot out or targeted out or, or you can get him out through sneaky ways throwing lots of models into him with trolls and Oh, other kinds of fun stuff. But but there's other options as well, Kylie. So can you go through some of the other fun options? Obviously, I, I completely agree, Jeremy. Boromir is amazing. I will just quickly slide in a little point. I think if you're going to ally Boromir of Gondor into any army list as a an extra warband drop, as an extra you know tactical uh, model in your army for that extra points of might, take his entire tier. Take the horse, elven cloak, and shield. You need all three of, all three of those options um, to cover your bases against whatever army. So just a little side point on that. But in relation to Boromir, I think the other side of the coin of a big hitter is Gandalf as a support. Gandalf is a fantastic ally. He, as a solo drop into any army, as a as a pseudo-independent model, is fantastic. Gandalf checks so many models in the game. It's It's kind of almost mind-boggling how many armies Gandalf... Like how many, not, not just armies, but models in general, Gandalf just stops or makes, turns it into a bit of a skill matchup or, or, or just prevents from being a problem. Like because of he's such a large array of, of um, magical powers and that skill set he provides to your army, there, there, there isn't a lot that your army can't do once you have a Gandalf in your list like suddenly by having blinding light you can now run shooting shenanigans you have commands so you can do uh, aggressive plays by moving your opponent you can do defensive plays because you have protection of the valor you can buff up models that are vulnerable to magic with strength and will and you can be super aggressive with your collapse rocks and sorcerer's blast so Gandalf is probably even above Gond- Boromir Gondor I think is my top solo you know ally him into whatever army because I don't think there's a single good army that is not going to like having a Gandalf um, kicking around. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's good to have around, isn't he? It's kind of cool that, that such a cool model and such an important part of the, the the lore and the stories and that is is such a clever model and such one that you definitely want to put around. So that I really do enjoy that one as well. So we've got Boromir, we've got we've got Gandalf. What else? Uh, we already talked about Legolas as a um, as a ability to secure VP, so I'm going to leave that one um, just there. But I yeah, also think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I also think that the Frodo um, Sam Smeagol option I think is really really underrated. I've had so much fun with these three models, and they're really because they're so underrated. 
people don't expect them to do what they can do. They don't expect them to be able to fight their way out of a situation or, or be able to combat a certain situation. But one of the things that I love about this little combo is Frodo's ring is essentially uncounterable. There are no counterplays to the one ring, unless you're a ring wraith. But if you're up against a ring wraith, you've got a whole host of other problems that you need to worry about. But for, for standard, you know, armies that most people will run to a tournament, Frodo ticks so many boxes. And adding in Sam and Smeagol gives you some extra little micro options to do some little heroic combats. And so, like you said with Sam before, he, he can do some off-tanking, you know, maybe against a captain. He can provide those extra heroic combats if you're really clever about it too. Particularly if you, say, throw Frodo into a big scary thing. You can have Sam and a captain, you know, go off, call a quick horror combat, and get those extra couple of kills. Because a free horror combat each turn, even if it forces Sam to go to a specific spot, can be absolutely huge because all the other models gain the benefit of that horror combat. And we all know how powerful Elendil and Aragorn and all those models, Thorin, all those models with free horror combats are. And yes, Sam does have that caveat where he has to join uh, Frodo's combat or move as close to Frodo as possible, but... Think of him like a mini shield bearer, and you won't go too far wrong. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a little fun combination as well. And I know that we've got them now in the the Rangers Legendary Legion as a, as a guarantee, but they are fun to go on a bit of a journey in other places as well, and to move around in that way. So, so yeah, those are the the main options. I like the idea of things like a, an Aragorn and Arwen being dropped in as well now with the that option, and and some of the other ones maybe a, a four hobbits and a bill into some other armies. Yeah, the Arwen, the, the Arwen is opening up a couple of uh, new doors in terms of, like, allied contingents that you can be really creative with. Like, yes, Lothlorien isn't too much of a thing because they already were green with Rivendell anyway, but, you know, the Eagles particularly um, uh, create some really, really powerful... Um, options there for, you know, some nature's wrath scenarios with, with um, Radagast. And if you're not too worried about um, losing your allied bonuses, oh my god, there are so many army lists that um, Fellowship are yellow with. Just to name a few here, you've got Dunharam. Imagine just a, an extra nature's wrath in with, you know, a whole bunch of army of the dead. You, you've got even just like um, the Fiefdoms. Fiefdoms are yellow. If you're not too, if you're playing some weird combo at low points and stuff, five teams can do some pretty crazy stuff. Particularly if you if you're not running the auxiliary, so like doing here um, for long and uh, angle. If you're just running basic five teams, a wrath in there could be absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you got Thrandall's halls is is another option there. Minas Tirith, oh, we've talked about Minas Tirith as being an ally so so many times. The Rangers, again, another classic. Rohan, Shire, White Councils, and the Wild Men of Durudan, all of all of which could really benefit from having a uh, Nature's Wrather in the list, uh, doing some really um, interesting things, particularly if you do the, like you said, Jeremy, the combo with Aragorn could be quite fun as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's lots of options there to, to play around. I mean, you can go thematic or you can go power builds if you want. Uh, we'll have a look at, I think, more of this in Master Kali. I think that's where our chance to, to show off what we can do. And then I'm sure the listeners will come up with their own ideas as well. Yeah, most definitely. Looking forward to it. Mm, okay, well, let's move on to our next segment. Scenario Spotlight. 
Weathertop. After fleeing the Black Riders in Bree, the Hobbits have had to put their faith in the mysterious traveller known as Strider who aided their escape. With Gandalf not having been at the Prancing Pony, the Hobbits must now follow Strider to Rivendell in order to keep the ring safe and prevent the Black Riders from finding them and reclaiming the Ring of the Dark Lord. As they continue to walk eastward across country, Aragorn and the Hobbits stop to rest within the old ruined watchtower of Amon Sul. This former seat of power once held one of the Palantiri in the times of Elendil, though many years of war and ruin have seen it abandoned and in disrepair. Weathertop, as it is now known, would make an ideal place to set up camp away from prying eyes, and whilst the Hobbits rest, Strider goes off to forage for food. Yet Strider has been away for some time scouting the lands around Weathertop, and the Hobbits were never ones to go about food for too long if they can help it. In the depths of night, the Hobbits' hunger provokes them to start a small fire in the hope of cooking a quick meal of tomato sausages and some nice crispy bacon as a means to fill them up and prevent their stomachs from constantly rumbling. Their innocent endeavour has had some dire consequences and has given away the location to the pursuing Ringwraiths, who now head straight towards the ruin of Weathertop in Amonsul. Huddled together within the centre of Weathertop, the terrified hobbits are now faced with the shrouding figures of the Nazgul and the terrible fate that awaits them if Strider cannot reach them in time. So scenario spotlight, today we're going to go through three different scenarios, some of our favourites for the for the fellowship. There are so many that I think at one point I would love to do a full episode, maybe going through the Quest of Ringvera scenarios, uh, but it, it's, who knows what's going to happen, it depends if we can get through them all, but I'm going to start with the Weathertop, as you heard from the introduction. So Weathertop is, like, it's, I think, the Lord of the Rings to me. It's one of the first scenarios that came out. Now, there's, the variation we're going to do is from the Quest and the Ringbearer. But it's one of the earliest memories, and one of the first box sets I bought, it may have been the first release month, was that Weathertop set with the five ring wraiths and the four hobbits and Aragorn. I know it was my first hobbits and my first Aragorn. Uh, it might have been the same month that the, the box came out. It might have been a month after or something, but it was one of the first models that I bought. And it's one of the first scenarios I played. I tried to do some points match games with the, the box set content for the Fellowship of the Ring days. Not so good. But the, the scenarios were fantastic. So in this one, we've got our layout. We're on a two-by-two two board here with the Weathertop in the middle. And they've got an image of that four-jawed Weathertop, which is it's a beautiful model. And I've got, I've got that one. I'm lucky enough to have that one. And it, it's, it is really, really nice. So they've put it on a table, which looks nice. Don't you have two of those four-jawed Weathertops? Because I distinctly remember you inheriting some stuff from one of the old games <laughs> workshops that had a, one of those Weathertops like, split in half. Yeah, yeah, no, maybe I'll tell that story. As listeners know, game stores love to go out of business. Like, that's one of their favorite things they do. They exist for a while, then they go out of business. And a good way to get terrain is, if they've got terrain in the stores, is just to have a chat to the, the manager or whoever's on there and ask if they're willing to, to sell any of it. And they, they often are because, like, it's either going to be thrown out or they they just happy to do a little dodgy deal or whatever. They've got a manager right to, to change something up. So in, in one of those times that I did that, Kylie, I got the uh, the half weather top that they gave to all the stores. So I've got two weather tops, yes. I've got the, the four-jawed full circle one, and I've got the half weather top as well, which is the same thing with a very slight difference. It's got some weird trees sculpted into it, and it's supposed to be a display piece. So it's maybe I should do it up really nicely, make it a display board and just like totally flex on everyone at tournaments. It wouldn't be the first time you've totally flexed on people at tournaments, <laughs> Jeremy. I, I look forward <laughs> to seeing it. Yeah. Yep. So this one, it's got a board with a, a diameter of 12 inches. The problem with this one is that the actual Weathertop model from Forge World is not particularly playable. It's, 
it's scaled down a little bit. It's not full size. It's based on the original plans, and people keep using that argument, but it's not exactly to scale. And the problem is that the Games Workshop models are always, you have to have a bit more room because of the bases on them. So the bases, because you've got that 25mm base, you've got to have bigger spaces for it. So what I've done with this one is i got another set of the, the actual uh, Weathertop set. The Five Ring Graves, Aragorn, and the Four yep. Hobbits, plus the little mini campfire. In fairness, I've actually got nine ring wraiths and then a Gandalf as well for other scenarios. But I put them all in little washers, so they fit through this this board. And I often change the the measurements slightly to make it fit, because what we find is with with like the full moves, you just get across really quickly. So sometimes I'll change that. But let's go through the the rules for this one, and I'll talk about what I do differently. So Frodo's in the center with the other hobbits surrounding him. Ringwraiths are then deployed, touching the edge of Amon Sul. So basically, you ignore the rest of the board. Yeah, Aragorn is not deployed at the start of the board. The Nazgul want to kill Frodo, so that, that's what they do. They just try and kill Frodo. And then if you knock out all the wraiths before this happens, you're all good. Uh, flaming brands are one of the rules that came out on a recent edition of this one. So you have flaming brands in addition to your normal weapons. Uh, if a ringwraith loses a duel, they'll go back D6 inches directly away from that model. And Aragorn can use his flaming brand as a throwing weapon as well. Uh, you don't run a wound, though, but you set a blaze, which is kind of cool to use that rule again. And once Aragorn has thrown his brand, he may not use it for the remainder of the scenario. So it adds another cinematic moment to the to the game, which is really nice. There's a couple more special rules. Uh, Aragorn, on the second turn onwards, you roll a d6. Four plus his arrive. Place him in base contact with any edge of Amon Sul. So once again, all those trees in the background are just for decoration. He may not charge, but can act normally otherwise. So that could be the time when you throw your brand as a throwing weapon, that turn or, or whatever. Uh, Cry of the Nazgul, this is one that turned up in the journey books, and it's a nice little rule. So once per game, the evil player may use this special rule. They always forget to, but it's good. Until the end of the turn, all good models reduce their courage by three. And if this is used before Aragorn's arrived, Aragorn will show up as well. So you've got one turn where you can do really reliable fear stuff and courage stuff, which is nice as well. So the participants are, of course, we talked about it before, Frodo, Sam, Merry, Peregrine, and Aragorn. And then evil side, you've got Witch King with the Morgul Blade, four wraiths, each with no additional might, will, or fate. So they're on foot. They've got ten will for the Witch King, who's got a Morgul Blade. And then four race with seven will. So not much will to start with. And you basically, you don't have a lot of movement because of the small space. I like to slow the movement down just to give you a turn to, to run away. So sometimes I just treat the whole thing as difficult terrain and, and move everyone slower. But you can do that. Use that to your whatever you like or not. Uh, one of the main tactics of this one is just to freeze Aragorn with one of your transfixes or another spell. And then use the, the wraiths to go attack Frodo. Get him to put the ring on and then stab, stab, stab him and and hope to win the combat against him. So it's it's really fun. It's nice and quick, and it, it looks so, so cool. It's very, very dynamic looking, and it is always a tense scenario. Kylie, what are your experiences with the Weathertop scenario? Uh, pretty much everything you've just said. Uh, tense is probably the word that I would also use for it, particularly with the Cry of the Nazgul. I think this was when, we, when I first saw this special in the books, um, particularly the old Jenny books, I thought it was. I thought it was. Oh, this is kind of weird. Why would you? Why would you include this special rule? And then, after a couple of games of playing through some of the scenarios, particularly uh, like Buckleberry Fairy, uh, some of the Ranger ones where you you have to go chase down the Nazgul, having that, like you said, Jeremy, having that one turn where you get to do courage shenanigans and really have it like play out can be absolutely like it. It just absolutely changes the whole scope of the game because both players are then 
are, are trying to play around this one special rule, and it's up to the evil player to initiate it. But the good player, even when the, the special rule hasn't been activated, the good player still has to like think, okay, what if my opponent, you know, drops their their fear like next turn, or or what if what if they drop it, um, uh, what if they drop it this turn? So you're constantly positioning your models so that, you know. You have the, the your 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 higher courage models in a position where they could still maybe like block off um, some of the regs coming in or, or whatever, but it, it, it creates these really fun moments where the evil side can go for a play, go for a compelling Frodo, you know, maybe draw him forward, then drop that cry of the Nazgul, and then suddenly it's 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 like what happened in the movie, you know, Frodo's fighting a couple of ring race and gets stabbed, and you know, it, it takes everything for you to to get Aragorn in. Might you might have to throw a couple of extra might points on top of some will points to, to actually just pass the courage test. And I think it's a really great way of uh balancing um the uh, scenario and making it more fun, I think, for both players. And it's something that I wish that they had have included in the Legendary Legion for the um, Black Riders instead of the Courage Stack shenanigans stuff that they did instead. I really like this rule. It is a, a really fun one. And I, I understand that, that for some armies that would be just lethal to, to be able to do that in a points match game, to be able to, for some armies, potentially go down to, to Courage or one or as low as you can go, um, zero if you're allowed to do that. I'm not sure about that one, but it's it, it is it is brutal. It's especially good for these ones because you you're rocking pretty good courage with your your hobbits and, and your Aragorn. So even with the the harbinger of evil, you're confident in charging most of the time. Whereas once the cry of the Nazgul goes up, suddenly you're an outside chance to charge. So it, that becomes really problematic, and there there becomes a turn where you might just end up playing defensively and just try and make a wall and set up your throw stones and just hope that they they don't charge you or you pass your spells with your resistance to magic or or somewhere along those lines. I think what I like about the the cry of the Nazgul is it gives agency to the ring race to actually be ring race, be scary. And actually get in and, and do things because in the past, in these scenarios, and like I'm talking a couple of editions back, the Nazgul could feel a bit um, underpowered against uh, a character like Aragorn, who could quite easily just run run a mark straight through him. But if if Aragorn has to use his extra might points and stuff to pass a courage test because of the the cry going down, because it brings him down to effectively courage too. And I'm not sure about you, Jeremy, but I've played Orcs and Courage 2 absolutely sucks. But if Aragorn's down to Courage 2 and he needs to charge his turn to, to, to maybe peel a uh, ring rake off Frodo or, or just engage to, to hold him up, getting rid of those couple of extra resources um, in uh, in favor of the evil side over the good side, um, I think is, is, is really, really important because, um, you know, with Aragorn's freebie and stuff, um, it... it, it it can feel like you're always reacting as the Nazgul, but this this gives them more agency back from, from, from the good side. Absolutely. It gives them that turn where a heroic move might not actually be a good idea because you, you just might not want to waste it and have certain guys fail and certain guys pass. So it, it does really help out. And remember in the books, they were always described as their chief weapon was fear. So it feels like that's that's a good thing instead of your, their chief weapon being to be able to, to move guys around or, or sort them out. I've seen many different tactics in this one. I've seen uh, people go for just black dart spam, and it, it can work. It's it's not particularly reliable and not particularly fun. So that's one where I I actually try to let, let people try it once because it's a nice quick game. 
but then I say try a different tactic or try something else because that's a that's a pretty sad way of, of playing it when you get uh, either lots of them off or you just spend all your will trying to do that and then just don't get anything going. So that's one option. I think the the favorite tactic of most people is just to to try to to hold up Aragorn with with transfixes or compels or something along those lines. And because Aragorn's will doesn't last forever, whereas the Hobbits does. So just going spell, spell, spell at Aragorn, hope, holding him up, and then just, just ganging up. You can usually push your way through Merry and Pippin, and then uh, yeah, hold up Sam and have a go at Frodo. But then it can be challenging as well, because Aragorn can kill the Wraiths pretty well, pretty well straight out. Like, if you go in, first time you get Aragorn in, just start chopping them up if you want. Mm. It's not uncommon in this scenario for you to drop one, even at times two points a month, just, just to drop a Wraith. Just to drop away from a two wind drill, like they are, they are so, 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 so powerful in this um scenario that you, you just, it, it's like one of those bell curves of like, like approaching, approaching one or approaching like a logarithmic curve where it just gets worse and worse for the ring race the more of them they lose. So, getting that that quick killing with Aragorn can be the difference between winning a game and losing a game and the more resources you lose as, as the evil player, not in terms of actual will points, but in terms of models available to fight, can be pretty significant. And that's it. How good is it when one of the hobbits gets a kill? It doesn't happen very often, but it's so much fun when that happens. My favorite is when um when you, you uh, go for it with Sam. Like, Sam gets that uh, cheeky heroic combat off, and then you roll the five, and you kind of just sit there for a bit looking at it going, Oh, do I use the might on this and, and yes, go for yes, another four plus? <laughs> and then, yeah, it can create some really tough situations where, you know, you know, a three plus off of Sam's roll or a four plus off of the secondary roll from Sam can uh, result in a kill and uh, consolidate because getting that second attack into, into another combat can be, uh, can be pretty big in, in terms of like trying to save Frodo. Yeah, you def- definitely, definitely want to use that. If you get a chance to kill a guy, you, you try to do it because. As you said, like you can hold off, say, three ring wraiths reasonably comfortable just by stalling them because they, they take a fair bit to kill Frodo as well. They need to actually get into him. They probably need to get him trapped. They probably need to spend some turns going into them. So if it's only a couple, it's not a, that big a deal, but it is a big deal if they've got all five active. But if you can manage to kill one or two, that means the couple active guys you've got left can just stall and hold up and then take down the will. And then the wraiths have a real tough choice about what spells they're going to use because you can't use all the will. You don't want to, to do that. There's a good chance you won't be fighting Frodo every turn, so you can't always rely on the ring. So you've got to you've got to plan around that. So I really like it, and it's a great way to show off the, all the the different hero mechanics in the game because it, it plays so differently to than most standard games that that people play. It just it, it's it's often very quick. It happens straight away, but you can then reset it and try an entirely different tactic and and see how you mm. go. And those are our favorite kind of scenarios. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but being able to play a scenario and reset it, you know, three, four, five times even in a night feels much more rewarding than just playing one scenario that, you know, takes the entire gaming session because you get you get a much better feel of, you know, what the scenario is. And you can switch sides too, which can always be fun to have uh, someone else have a crack at uh, a scenario. I know we've puzzled out uh, victory conditions out of, some particularly difficult scenarios, Jeremy, in the past, simply by just switching sides and having someone else uh, have a different crack at it. 
Yeah, I, I really do like the progressively get better at it by keep trying. And it sort of goes in waves, doesn't it? So one side starts off well, and then the other side comes back, and the other side comes up with a good strategy. And you keep moving that way, and you can talk it through. This one I like as well because it works so well as a bit of a, a side scenario because it takes up no space whatsoever. Like it's, it's a small board, and it looks so pretty. What you can use it is when you're having a scenario night or a games night, you just put it on the side, and when one group finishes early, you just tell them to have a go at this, and they spend their 15, 20 minutes have you go at this scenario and then you can end up timing it so that you both finish at the same time. So it really works that way as well. If you've got a weather top, definitely put this scenario together. If you haven't got a weather top, look at one of the 3D printing options or look at one of the, the scratch building options. I actually recommend making one a bit bigger than the Games Workshop one. And I think it's one of the more rewarding pieces of terrain that you can make because I think you're going to get some some good games out of it. And the it's one of the, the smaller in terms of the amount of participants in it. So definitely have a go at the weather top. I know we've talked about weather top before, but I think it's worth mentioning again because I think it is, if, if you're going to get yourself into narrative scenarios, you can't go too far wrong with weather top. It does provide the terrain for uh, a couple of other scenarios too. I know uh, there's the Gandalf versus the Ring Race on Weathertop as well. And there's the one with, I believe, about the penalty of the fall of the Weathertop in an old White Wolf or something. But yeah, it's uh, you, you, got, you got options with it. You could also go and then uh, use it for a scenario you made up where, uh, what is it? Was it Azog that threw the, uh, threw the WAG, the, the guy off the Weathertop? Or, um... Oh. So yeah. Then, yes. Yes. One of the one of them happened. One of them got sacked. I think it was Yavnik. He got kicked off Weathertop by uh, by Azog. Yeah, you could definitely definitely do that. I know that's not really a game, but but you can go. You maybe you can put put it as a card game, like all these other scenarios that they keep making. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so that was the Weathertop, Kylie. Let's move on to our next one. Wags in the night. The Pass of Caladrus had defeated the Fellowship, the biting weather having been provoked by the voice of Sauron, making it all but impossible to cross the mountain without risking the lives of all the Fellowship. Forced back down the mountain, the Fellowship must decide an alternative route that would lead them to the other side of the Misty Mountains. Soon a debate breaks out amongst the Fellowship, with Boromir saying that they should make for the Gap of Rohan, while Gimli proposes that they should go through the Mines of Moria. With the Gap of Rohan taking them too close to Isengard, it is reluctantly decided that they will go through the Mines of Moria, and Gandalf begins to lead the Fellowship south towards the Dwarven Gates. As the Fellowship make camp, the sound of howls can be heard breaking the quiet that had descended as night fell. Jumping to their feet, the Fellowship are soon surrounded by the ravenous wags who seem intent on feasting upon each of them. Whether driven to attack by hunger or more sinister force is irrelevant as the Fellowship must fight off the oncoming Wag pack in order to survive and reach the walls of Moria. Wags in the Night. This is one of my my old favourites uh, for scenarios. So it starts, the layer is a 4x4 board and basically you have the Fellowship starting in the centre, within three inches of the centre of the board and then you have a Wag chieftain and 18 Wag Wags kind of prowling in and attacking the Fellowship from basically every board edge uh, and, and trying to surround them and pick them off. So the objective in this scenario, as for a lot of the Fellowship, full Fellowship scenarios, is kill five members of the Fellowship or uh, kill Frodo, basically. Um, and it, it creates a, it's a very interesting game because this one's a bit more, a bit more grindy and you do have to uh, kind of macro... Uh, your resources out a little bit more uh, carefully than you would otherwise in other games. 
Uh, so the specials for the scenario are Thieving of the Pack uh, from eleven from turn 11 onwards. If priority is ever drawn, the game immediately ends. Uh, the next uh, special, which is kind of the, the hallmark uh, special for this scenario, is Never Ending Pack. At the start of each turn, any evil warrior models that have been previously same may enter the board at the end of the evil player's move phase via the rules for reinforcements from a board edge chosen by the player with priority. A different board edge may be chosen for each ward. So this is really, really, really interesting because it basically has that recycling mechanic that we see um, a, a lot for some uh, for some of the other bigger scenarios like uh, in Osciliath, uh, I know notably the Battle for Five Army scenarios have the good about ultra cycling a bit, and this is a bit of the same. So the Fellowship is basically fighting off wave after wave after wave of wags and trying to keep themselves alive. And finally, the last special rule, uh, which is mostly just a Gandalf nerf, is all even models have Fearless, uh, which is pretty important because if Gandalf throws up the channel terrifying aura in this scenario, it absolutely breaks it 110%. <laughs> I really like that rule. It shows that they, they have had to go at the scenario. Because that we talked about it, I think, when we were talking about Gandalf, the the channeled terror, even just the terrifying aura, but the channeled terrifying aura is really, really good. And the Wags have no ability to get through that with this because the the Wags are entirely rubbish. Like they're they're not very good at all. But at least they can reliably charge, so you can put them into combat and just let them die, and then hope for that fluky fluky roll, fluky roll. Uh, I I love this scenario. It's not. In the movies, I don't don't remember it being in the movies, but it's definitely in the books. They fight the wags off, and what I like about it is it's 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 almost like a training run for your fellowship because you've got lots of big base models which are ideal for the fellowship, but you've got a game that could last for a huge number of turns. Like yes, it goes from turn eleven onwards. You've got a a one in six chance of ending the game each turn, but that's that's a good chance of it not ending every turn as well. So it can go on for a long, 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 long time. We've had twenty turn games of this, and and I think one of them went into the twenty fives. And it, it comes like at the start, it's easy. You're just just cutting through them, and you you got no problems whatsoever, and, and you're just laughing off of the wags and basically doing whatever you want. But then you start to get a couple combat losses. And you start to get a wound or two, and you start to run out of resources, and you can't call heroic moves with every turn unless you're going to devote Aragorn's might to that every single turn. And the Wag Chieftain's probably hanging around in the background, just waiting for a good opportunity to go and attack one of the weaker members of the Fellowship and, and really annoy them. And suddenly, it's it becomes nail biting. Well, a little bit tricky. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember so many times we've played the scenario quite a few times, and you're right, Jeremy. It is a fantastic scenario for basically putting on the training wheels for the fellowship and kind of learning how they how they function but playing such a long drawn out game like you you think it's going to be like you said i think it's going to be fine but the amount of times i've had like particularly boromir and legolas for, for some reason in this scenario seem to go down quite frequently because you know you throw boromir in you think oh, it's boromir you're actually he, he's going to cut through wild like there's no tomorrow and then you roll nothing higher than a four yes and it's turn 15, and you might run out three, four turns ago. And suddenly, Boromir just cops three wounds and dies. And you're like, crap, there goes one of my biggest hitters. What do I do now? And stuff like that happens throughout the scenario. And one of the things I find is you're constantly having to micro micro out a lot of the little advantages and the little, little kind of advantages bits and parts of each uh, character special rule. Like, for instance, I found in this scenario that 
towards the end of the game, Boromir starts shielding because you just can't afford to lose a combat. And, you know, suddenly starting to faint with some of the, the bigger heroes like Legolas um, becomes more viable. And you start looking to, to get, you know, Merry and, and, and Pippin into a combat so that you can call a heroic combat with them to, to conserve one of the bigger, uh, like, Gimli's or Legolas's points of might because, you know, they're down to one or two and you, you need to keep their might to, to, to help them stay alive and stuff. So that's one of the things I absolutely love about the scenario is it brings out every tiny little bit of special rule out of pretty much every single character, bar, of course, Gandalf's uh, terrifying aura. I, I like that change though as well because it means that you don't do the normally you just did a turn set up with the terror bubble for Gandalf, but what it means is you can get straight into the cool powers from first turn because there'll be a lot of times when you just let the wags charge you because you want to just save that might for a free heroic combat or or something else because it, it's oftentimes if you're in a good position it doesn't really matter where the wags charge you and then you can just react to them nicely but to be able to just go ahead and just sorceress blast away or uh compel or, or whatever with gandalf it really does help out from early on you don't have to worry about that you don't have to worry about the exhaustion spells you can just go go nuts with his will and use it all up so it does change your tactics very slightly there i love the idea of uh, shielding with Boromir because you're right there's not a lot to be gained by killing these wags because they just keep coming back coming back coming back sometimes you prefer to have one right near you so you can use your abilities to to sort that out and and help out along the way so I I think it's it's really interesting scenario it can be a little bit on the easy side at times so I think if you want to make it harder one of the easiest options is to to just grab a second wag chieftain and, and to move it that way. Or we've played it before in the past, Kylie, where uh, some of the Wild Chieftain is renewable as well. Yes. So that then it makes it a little bit tougher because it can it can be, if you're a good fellowship player and you're not having the training wheels, and especially if you're against a, a not so experienced Wild player, although I would argue that even an experienced Wild player can only do so much in this scenario. It's very much a a someone playing the, the the bad guy and just let it happen type scenario. It works as a solo scenario if you want to. I think that that's a good way of doing it. I think a lot of these times, if you just add another hero, another scary, or the ability to renew, that's all good. So that's that's my recommendation on this one. Once you've played it a few times, don't be afraid to modify the rules a little bit and give your, your Wag Chieftain the ability to regenerate as well as the others or make it like the Azog's Wag as well. And you can play around. Now, Kylie, I've got a question for you about this scenario. Yeah. Are you a ghost wag or a real wag person? What? Ghost, ghost wag or real wag? What are you on about? So in this one, in the in the books, they, they fight the, the wags and they, they fight them all. They fight them off. It's all tense. It's like that first sort of conflict that the fellowship yeah. has to fight through. Uh, and in, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. But in the morning, remember that they um, they check for tracks and stuff and there's nothing around. So there's unsure whether it happened or not. And there's uh, theories about whether these wags were real or whether they were specters or whether they were something else entirely, an apparition oh, or, or something along the way. See, I always just thought that, that you know, like Saruman or something used their, their magic to erase their tracks or they were just really stealthy like i didn't i didn't actually think that there was a theory going around about them being you know spooky ghost wags that's uh that's an answer to a question i didn't realize uh, i needed to uh, i needed to have answered what kind of person would like openly attack someone and then erase the tracks afterwards we know it happened <laughs> okay it's, it's all right yeah that seems a waste of magic entirely <laughs> oh okay that 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 explains why there's 
spectral wags and the old uh, Angmar supplementary white wart from like days upon yonder. <laughs> you use every opportunity to bring that one up as well. Yeah, yeah, the old one with the dusk race and things hey, like hey, that. Hey, hey, dusk race had, had a cool wags. mechanic. It would effectively. I wish they would bring them back because it would allow Barrowites to get off para, para, channeled paralyzers. And uh, yeah, yes. no, give me your barrel white might not not going to happen, Kylie. Stop trying to make it happen. But yeah, so the um, I, I like the idea that that it's a bit ambiguous about what whether these wild who actually what they seem. And I uh, have you noticed that lately I've been using fell wags to represent the wags instead of the the normal. Yes, wags? But you've been doing that for a while. In fact, don't you intermix basically whenever you need to use wild wags like. You you basically just intermix into intermix the two. Oh, words are hard for me today. Uh, no, no, I've got I've got enough felwags, and I've got a I've got a couple wild chieftains, and one of them is converted with it's it's a white wag. So I I initially used it as a the white wag dismount, but now I've got a, a proper version of that as well. But it was it's the wag chieftain, which I really like that model with a felwag head, ah. and I use that for my wag chieftain, and I feel it. The Felwags are a bit better suited to this because the the hyena wags from Isengard, I feel like they're more a specific area type wag. So I like using the the more wolf like ones for it. So I I go for the the Felwags for this one. And I, I, the Fel site rule would be really cool as well to go with that that spectral wag type idea. So I, I definitely I use those a lot of times, and I find this is a really good training scenario for the the fellowship. So oftentimes if I'm getting scenarios out. I'll put this one out. It takes up a nice big board. It's it's quite dynamic. And what you can get is the, the wild player to be the experienced player and to sort of help the new player through it and, and teach them how to use their fellowship. And it's very forgiving from the start because it's it's very unlikely that the wilds will get a kill early on, even to the to the rubbish guys. It's usually going to be a, a combat they can help each other out. But then as the, the player gets a little bit more confident, then eventually the resources start to go and then the wilds can start making it up yeah that sounds like a, a probably a, a really smart way of, of going about the scenario uh, when you if you're bringing it out with a group i uh, wholeheartedly agree with that one jeremy and uh, as we've said uh previously as well if you want to go super hard mode with the fellowship yeah you like you you can make it so that if any member of the fellowship dies it's it's a it's a board wipe there so you, you uh you can there's always ways of making it um a little bit more challenging if you have a more experienced player hell Add both. Make it if a single member of the fellowship dies, you, you lose the game and recycle the wild blog. Be interested to see if anyone can pull <laughs> that off. Or just put like, I don't know, a few bat swarms or a gulivar or something along the line and just, just yeah, make it as hard as you want. No, it's a, it's a good idea. I like that idea of uh, playing on hard mode. I, I can't believe I haven't mentioned hard mode in, in this part here. I, I probably mentioned it 10 times in the rest of the episode, but I do really like that one and that's how that's how we play them when we play them against each other Kylie because what what happens with these scenarios is once you're good at the fellowship you get really good at the fellowship and you you don't start to worry about things that much and it becomes a bit formulaic whereas if you have to protect Mary and Pippin and you have to stop them from getting a wound suddenly you've got three main targets you have to protect you have to protect Frodo you have to protect Mary and Pippin you can't just throw them away at the start and laugh it off so it becomes much harder because you tend to essentially one-on-one bodyguards for, for fellowship members instead of everyone around Frodo and just let the others die. Mm, and as I said, um, I think in the the, the, the No-Nine and stuff, Boromir's might completely changes if you go to that hard mode too because suddenly you can't just, you know, jump 
jump into the, the midst of a combat and start calling her combats and spending a mind for kills and stuff. He has to keep, you know, a fair bit of it back just so that if a sneaky wound gets passed and gets one on um, Mary or Pippin, you have the might to be able to uh, pass their fate saves. Yeah, it, ma- it makes it very, very interesting. And I think, um, I think you know what, Jeremy? I kind of want to give it a go. I kind of want to give this... This scenario, go. It's, it's super hard mode with the with the if Mary and Pippin die, the games ends, and if um, you know, we we are uh, we 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 recycle uh, the chieftain as well. I, re- I reckon I can pull it off. <laughs> you always say that with these scenarios, and then you lose like first turn. It's it's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I had the same confidence in that. What was it? The the flight to Lothlorien scenario. <laughs> and like I got to within two inches of the board edge with uh Mary and Pippin and then lost one on like a freak combat loss, like all the hobbits and like I think I had Legolas in on one wag and I was like, heroic combat, get off the board, lost the combat, and then one of the hobbits died and I was just I was fuming because I was absolutely kicking the crap through that scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well it's not called hard mode for nothing, is it? Uh that that is very true. But we have one more scenario, Jeremy. Do you want to move on to that one? Yes. Balin's tomb. Driven into the mines by their close encounter with the Watcher in the Water, the Fellowship now only have one choice in front of them, to venture forwards into the long dark of Moria in order to reach the other side of the mountains. The Fellowship must trust Gandalf to lead them through the gloom, and all about them they can see the ruins of the once proud dwarven realm, yet they find no signs of the expedition led by Balin that had sought to reclaim Moria many years ago. After a day's travel, the Fellowship leave the mines and enter the once great dwarven city of Dwarodelf. Though it is silent and cast into darkness, the former grandeur of the place is still apparent. As they cross the city, Gimli notices the light coming from a small room and races to it in the hope of finding his kin. However, all that is discovered is the tomb of Balin and the remains of a battle held within the tomb long ago. Within the chamber, Gandalf finds the Book of Marzabal, documenting the expedition in Balin and his subsequent fall. As Gandalf reads, Pippin's inquisitiveness gets the better of him, knocking a skeleton down the well and causing a great racket. Though at first nothing seems to come of it, the Fellowship can soon hear the sounds of drums in the deep and the scuttling of goblins. They'll have to fight their way out of the tomb if they are to avoid the same fate as Balin and his king. So I got to play this recently on Aaron's wonderful board. So Aaron, Aaron's uh, one of our, our Melbourne players who's put together his own balanced tomb, and it's one of the best I've seen. It's just it works so well, and it's got the levels and everything else really uh, actively played. I've played my one's pretty simple. It's based on the old Journey book, and it's probably a little bit too simple. But no matter what you play it on, it works out the same. Uh, the the best thing I found about Aaron's one was that there was lots of different entrances all over the place. So it meant the goblins didn't always just come onto one bottleneck. You could go full 360 and that made it much harder. But let's go through what you have to do. I'm assuming people already know about Balan's Tomb, but it's on a two by two board. You've got Balan's Tomb in the middle and you've got a gate where the, the goblins could come in. So that's, that's one. I, I recommend on hard mode, make it so the goblins can jump in other areas as well. So You've got 10 turns, which is not a huge amount of turns. The Goblin player has to kill five members of the Fellowship. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, f- kill five. Or, f- or Frodo. There's a Goblin Tide, so you just bring on the Goblin Warriors again. So you've got 24 Goblin Warriors, two Captains, and a Cave Troll. And then the Cave Troll, during the fourth move phase, so, so later on in the game, the Cave Troll may enter the board from the doorway and may charge the turn and arrives, which is nice. Uh, during the turn it enters the board, the cave troll may move through friendly goblin models. Any goblin moved through in this manner suffers a strength three hit. So this is the ogre rule. 
from the from the Azog's Legion rule, and then the Cave Troll can finish its move. So basically, you, you stay away from an entrance point. There, you got to you got to hug the middle to make sure you don't get charged, or you just make sure it's someone like a a Boromir or an Aragorn that cops the charge, or even a a, a Gandalf. Unfortunately, it's got monster attacks, so that's not the always the most reliable tank. So that's nice, but this scenario, I think. If it's just that one entrance point, I found that it, it becomes pretty easy. So you might want to look at doing things like the recycling the goblin heroes and recycling the troll, uh, just to to put some some pressure on it. But yeah, that that last one I played was so much more fun with goblins coming at all different sides because it meant the fellowship had to keep moving. Whereas in the past we've played this one and the fellowship is just camped at the back of the board every single time, and that's that's okay. But I found that that one, due to due to Aaron's board having entrances at the back and at the sides, suddenly it puts pressure on because a goblin could just sneak in and take a bow shot at someone or jump in the back and just, just break off a combat. And you're using the Fellowship's ability much more than that one. It's still only 10 turns. Um, This one, I wouldn't mind if it had the that drawn priority thing as well, if you want to play hard mode. I keep going through all different hard modes because this one, if you play it as is and you're a Fellowship player with some experience, you'll find it pretty easy. Mm, yeah, th- this is this is one of those ones where I think this was the scenario where we came up with with hard mode for because we we used to we used to pull this out a lot and like there's been a lot of iterations of of Barlin's tomb and I think this one gets gets it pretty pretty close to on the money in terms of um giving it um a bit of uh, a bit of a challenge for 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 both players if you're you know you're throwing in some of the hard mode variants that that we have and. It's 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 interesting, like how how some of the previous iterations of the scenario are like still kind of echoing through the the kind of the current um, version of the scenario. Like you have the the outcroppy bits uh, around the edge of the um, the table that wasn't always there. Uh, the trapdoors were a thing that came in um, with uh, the one ring and the the plastic fellowship set that came out. The the, the enclosed nature of um, um, the, the goblins coming on and the width of the doorway and stuff has, has constantly evolved and stuff uh, throughout kind of the ages as we've played this scenario because um, I distinctly remember some, some of the uh, kind of prior, prior scenarios. You could definitely um, essentially just walk all three of your big combat heroes into the, the, the choke point effectively in the mm. doorway and just block off um, the ability for the evil player to bring on any more goblins. So it's, it's nice that they've included the trapdoors and the well and stuff to help uh, bring on uh, extra, uh, you, you know, more dynamics uh, to the game. Even even just, just the trapdoors themselves. It means that the hobbits are constantly having to do- dodge stray, you know, arrow shots from goblin archers. It means that they're, yeah. they're having to, to fight a little bit more skirmishes, and, and if you play it like we said with the hard mode, if, if one of the hobbits dies, it's game over. And recycling the goblin captains, even recycling the troll we've done in the past, um, it can d- uh, definitely make the scenario uh, much more interesting and much more fun to play for both players. It feels like it can go either way. Yeah, the, the well and the, the trap doors, which I don't know if I specified before, but you can have one goblin each of the trap doors, and they're allowed to charge the turn they enter. So that that's nice. It's one like extra charge point you've got. And the well, I think it was two goblins you can have from the well, which is nice as well, but it's still only that amount of guys. It's still only one or two guys. So that when I was playing on Aaron's, we like we could allocate the amount of goblins and where they came from. So you could just have waves coming from different areas, which was fun as well. But definitely for all these scenarios that we've talked about, 
the the theme is a little bit that you have to modify them to taste because you're not going to find the perfect scenario a lot of times straight out of the way. You're going to like something a bit differently. You're going to you're going to play it a few times and then find okay, it would work better if we did this. So change them up with your play group by all means and and add some house rules and things to them because that's that's the way you get lots of play out of them. But they're all they're all good and they they're all very different these three scenarios we've played through Kyle. The first one was very much that magic one and and quite stressful for the the fellowship they're very much the victims in that one in the next one it was the fellowship on god mode because it's just the wags come in and they just they just kill but it goes forever and this one's a little bit somewhere between them where you've got enough threats that you have to play well but you've also got enough enough guys coming on that you can be a little bit threatening it's very hard in this one though to to find the time to kill enough fellowship members that's that's the challenging part because the goblins don't kill them that fast. So sometimes maybe even play around with the turn limit as well. 10 turns, maybe go up to 12 and see how you go that way as well. If you find it easy, if you don't find it easy, make it, make it nine turns, but play around with it and see how you go. And I think if you, if you have someone in your group, that's willing to make a board, you're going to get some good play out of this. And like you said, Jamie, this is kind of one of those scenarios where it's almost, um, how hard can you make it and still win? Um, consistently, kind of, kind of, kind of a deal. Because uh, I know we can win basically as as written, smash through the scenario without losing losing a hobbit. So being able to definitely kind of go through and and, and alter the scenarios just just slightly to make them a little bit hard, harder, I think is is an absolute way to go. Because one of, one of the things that I don't know if you've noticed, Jeremy, but a lot of the scenarios that are being written now are not so much either side can win, but it's more of a, oh, this is what happened in the movie, so that's what's going to probably be the result of this scenario. And I think that's a bit of a shame because I like I like playing through, um, you know, my scenarios and my games, a bit like the old editions where it can go either way. If, 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 if both players are playing really well, it, it, most of the scenarios would, you know, back in the day would come down to, you know, a single dice roll or a single courage test. And, Yes, it might lean one of the, the other way a bit easier, you know, passing a courage test with, say, Sam or courage uh, five or something like that is a lot easier than passing with the, with the goblin. But having those kind of finales where both players have played so well that it's coming down to like a single combat and stuff is, is a really rewarding way of ending a um, ending kind of a play session and ending a scenario and then kind of the, some of the foregone conclusions that, you know, we, we kind of know and see happening with some of these scenarios as we play through them. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And there's a lot of other good ones in this Quest of the Ring Bearer as well, so get your fellowship out. If you're, if you're listening to this episode, you probably have, have at least thought about playing these scenarios, so I, I would highly recommend doing it. I think it's, it's, for me anyway, it's more rewarding than playing the fellowship in the points match games because the points match games uh, have the potential to be really swingy and, and sort of not showcase what their abilities are. Sometimes you get a scenario where the fellowship abilities just don't lean themselves into it at all. So the scenarios are really nice that they are designed around that and will do the job of the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. 100% on that one. Uh... Well, now that we've we've talked about how good the scenarios are, let's go into our next segment and talk about what we can do with them in points match. Let's do it. Mustering an up. Three hundred more from Denmark, Commander King. Where are the riders from Snowball? 
And we're here, Kylie. We're at Muster, the final segment and possibly one of the four best segments we have. So for for a fellowship, I thought I'd start off and be totally out there with a fellowship pure army. So this is what I've got, Kylie, for 750 points. So 750 points. I, I think this is about the minimum you can you can get the fellowship in for. And I've got for, I've got Gandalf the Grey. I've got Frodo with Sting. I've got Samwise Gamgee, Marriott Brandybuck. Peregrine Took, Aragorn, we've nothing unfortunately, Boromir, Legolas, and Gimli. So this is really, it's on the dot seven fifty. The only piece of war gear I could afford was Sting. I guess maybe you could drop Sting for Aragorn's bow. You could, any other five-point item around you could possibly put in, but it, it's just getting there. Yeah, I'm not sure about Sting, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, Sting's all well and good before, but you've already do have two Elven Blades from Legolas and Gandalf. I don't think, like, Sting is that useful, because, like, Frodo's not really in there to do kills. I think you'd be much better off with either Boromir's Shield, I think particularly, or uh, a Bow and Aragorn, I think, are the, are the two best options at 750, if you, if you have to pick one. Yeah, I, I, fair enough on the Bow. I think that's probably a really good option. Uh, you, I guess you could do without that if you're just in fight, but I love I love the bow and Aragorn. The shield on Boromir, I don't tend to use that much. Like, I know the defense bonus isn't really nice. If he, he gets a defense bonus for it? Yes, he does. Yeah, okay. that That's really nice. But the shielding rule, I don't tend to use a lot because basically I need him to be killing at all times. But yeah, I can see that. But, Kylie, I've also gone... I know that 750, it doesn't quite feel there. It doesn't quite feel right. But I'm looking out for tournaments that are 800 points because when it's 800 points, it's game on because this is what I've got now. I've got Gandalf the Grey. I've got Frodo with Mithril Coat and Sting. Full kit Frodo. Lovely. I've got Sam. I've got Merry, Pippin. All, all just on their own. Aragorn with a bow, Boromir with a shield, Legolas, Gimli, and Bill the Pony. Uh, the main omission here, I don't have Aragorn's sword, but other than that, I think I'm getting there. What do you think of this one? Uh, much better. Much, 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 much better. I mean, there are, again, still some options there with um, the Mithril coat and Sting, but honestly, I think he, you kind of want the coat on Frodo at that point, because... Uh, Fearless is just so dang handy, um, so making sure that uh, Frodo doesn't get, you know, one shot from out of nowhere, and Defense 6 means that you can do some off-talk, off-tanking, as we talked about um, earlier in the podcast, so yeah, I, d- I don't mind it. I think uh, I think that's pretty much what you'd be bang on looking to get at uh, for an 800-point fellowship. Yeah, I think I've got I've got most of the bases covered. The, the Build the Pony's a nice little addition, and he's going to be powering up Frodo, because Frodo is going to be in combat. So Sam will be in combat, hopefully with a big friend. Frodo will be in combat. Merry and Pippin, if I can avoid it, I'll avoid it. But you can't avoid it with everyone. You can't have three, four, five members avoiding combat. You've got to put most of them in. So Frodo, I think the Mithril Coat and Sting is a good way to go. Build a Pony gives you some nice bonuses to get some re-rolls around and to be able to fill up some some resources. So I, I like it. I think it's a, it's a nice little theme force. Is it a world beater? No, in some cases it could be. In other cases, you're in a lot of trouble. If you get any of those scenarios where you need to be in lots of places at the same time against like a horde, you might be struggling a little bit. Yeah, but that's always been the case kind of with the the fellowship list. It's always more of a a test of your skill as a player if you can make, you know, nine uh, 
eight, nine, or ten models actually work for an army list. So I don't mind seeing players challenge themselves with a fellowship. In fact, I'd recommend uh, any, any players out there who are looking for a, a real challenge and trying to get a bit more, like, pick up a few more skills to, to give the fellowship a, a try because um, it can be a, a fun uh, list to play with when you when you get some uh, interesting matchups and stuff. You can You can get away with some pretty cool stuff. I also think it's good to just on your casual nights, whenever you're, you're playing around, just try it out because you want to know what it plays like if if you do want to play it in an event or just for the fun of it. Or also someone brings it along, you might not know how to deal with it. And that's when these armies get you. If you don't know what to do, they can they can pull you apart. Uh, not easily, but they can pull you apart and, and uh, surprise you with some of the stuff going on. So it's worth seeing what that happens. Okay, Kylie, do you have any... I don't think you're going to beat me on Pure Fellowship. Do you have anything, any army list with some allies maybe? Yes, I've got a, a few of them, actually, now that I uh, okay. look at what I've got here. But uh, I'm going to go with my first one. Uh, it is, uh, I'm sure you all, all of you, all, all of our wonderful listeners out there, remember the iconic scene in The Two Towers where uh, Aemir and his right here are, uh, are riding past and uh, Aragorn steps out from behind a rock and, and asks, what's news from the Mark? Well, this is my little, uh, little force uh, kind of... Uh, you know, taking uh, taking advantage of that moment in the film. So in Warband number one, I have Aragorn Strider with Elven Cloak and Bow. In Warband number two, we have Legolas with Armor and Elven Cloak. And uh, in Warband number three... Wait, I just realized they're all in the same Warband. Ignore me. This is all Warband number one is obviously Gimli, Son of Gloom with Elven Cloak. <laughs> so we have the three hunters there coming in around 400 points. And then in Warband number two... Not the false two, Legolas two that I talked about earlier, but the actual warband number two is Aemir, Marshal of the Rittermark, and he's on horse with shield and throwing spears. He's leading five riders of Rohan with throwing spear, nine riders of Rohan just with their basic kit, and one rider of Rohan with a banner. Ooh, okay. So you've got classic riders of Rohan, no no uh, royal guard in here, which I, I kind of like using the, the riders of Rohan, the... The old, old, old models there. What have you got? You've got a good amount of throwing spears. Actually, a decent ratio as well. You haven't gone all throwing spears all the time. So I like this from a theme point of view. I love that it's it's basically a scenario in a box. You've got your banner in there, which is fantastic. Your three hunters will work pretty well. They've all got the elven cloaks. Kylie, this is about the most themed I've ever seen you go on. Yeah, but I actually think it's actually pretty, pr- pretty good um, uh, on the table as well. Because... It's kind of one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of lists. Because what do you do? Do you go after the slow members of, of, of the army in Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, who, might I add, aren't that slow because they can march with Aragorn and, you know, kind of hoof it eight inches across the table every turn. But what, but what do you do? Do you go fight the, the strong members of, of the army? Or do you go try and pick on the weaker members in the Riders of Rohan? But they're Riders of Rohan. They can just move ten inches away and, and take some opportune shots when they are... Uh, when they're able to, because every single one of those Riders of Rohan does have a bow. And a whole bunch of them have throwing weapons, and every single model has a missile weapon of some kind. So you can play avoidance really well, play that that light cavalry force where you, you dance away, you bait people towards you, you, you jump back. You can keep the movement going really fast if you're using some marches around there and, and moving around. And when they finally do charge you, you've got... Aemir, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli to, to hit. It takes a fair bit of effort to take those down. Even a big, you finally get your troll in or something like that, they could just turn around and take them out straight away. So I do like this. And at 750 points, I think it's a, you've got 
probably just enough stuff to to make it work. So you've got what is it the three three hunters and then uh, sixteen riders of Rohan. One of them's a hero. That's that's okay. That's that's enough. The big bases really help there. Yes, if you go and someone manages to knock down all the riders, you're in probably a little bit of trouble. But it's your own fault if that happens. If that happens, you you misplay it. You've moved around wrong, and you haven't optimized your shots. You should be shooting dead any target that can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yes, the list could you, you could put Aragorn and Legolas on horse, but that kind of leaves Gimli out by his lonesome. And I actually kind of prefer having all three hunters on on foot in in this very specific circumstance, right? Because it means that they're, they're much more easier to move maneuver around like little terrain pieces, get into nooks and crannies and stuff. But it means that they're going to be forced to be playing as a unit. Um, you're kind of using the riders and pivoting around this this really aggressive and like high damage um, force of Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli because you stick these three, you know, near near a wall or near a terrain feature, and aren't many there aren't many models that you're going to be able to bring to to bear onto 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 the three hunters, and the three hunters are some of the best heroes in the game. Yeah, normally when you're fighting against like an all mounted army, which is this isn't, but it's pretty close. Your go-to is, I'm going to jump in some difficult terrain and, and camp in there. But Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn can go fish people out really well. And they, they love fighting that sort of terrain because it, it they're, they're always fighting someone. And it might mean that it, it makes less opponents go against them. So I really like that as a combination. And then like, Aragorn's heroics really do help out here. Because if you want to put the whole army in range of a march, you can just reposition the whole thing in no time at all. You can basically use heroic moves whenever you need them to, to move away. You can play that game where you stay like nine and a half inches away from everyone and just bait them forward and then move back, bait them forward, move back, and constantly pepper them with shooting and force them out. And then when they finally get in, you let them charge a rider, a Rohan or two, and then everyone goes in and, and knocks them out. So I really... I Look, this is... This is perfect in terms of my my thoughts for a list. This is something I would 100% play, and I would ha- back myself to win most games with, and I would have a ball doing it, even if I lost, because you know that the theme is just on point. Yeah, 100% agree. I actually kind of want to get this, this army out onto the table and uh, play a 750-point uh, match with it, because I think uh, I think it's better than, than it looks on paper. I think it takes some practice to use, but I think once once you get the hang of when to move and where to go and when to disengage, I think you've got a lot of lot of potential there. And it's got enough numbers as well that, that when I said before about the Fellowship where I don't want to play against a horde where they can all just run and take all the objectives, this one, you can send off a couple of horses here and there to take a mission. You don't, It doesn't affect your, your combat potential that much. So a ride of Rohan with a with a bow ducking off to, to go capture an objective or reconnoiter or storm a camp or something like that is fine. There's no issue whatsoever. Whereas a single member of the Fellowship going slow, yeah, that, that is an issue. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 100% agree. Oh, well, well, thanks for the, thanks for those kind mm. words, Jeremy. It's uh, it's 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 nice to get that kind of that 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 themey praise that you always seem to 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 give out. You've earned it for that one. I I think I. I Anyone can make a list that's just optimizing the best models. I think if you can do something that you can win with, but it also nails the theme of Lord of the Rings, I think you're definitely onto something. And I think you are here. I think this is this scares me, you playing it, but it also makes me fills me with joy because I know that it's pure theme and you haven't taken something just because it's a power option. You've taken something because it fits the theme. You haven't swapped Aemir out for a different hero. You haven't gone for 
optimized Riders of Rohan. You haven't turned a whole bunch into Royal Guard. You've just said, this is what was in the book. This is what was in the movie. Well, doing it. maybe not the armor of Legolas, but I feel like you can forgive me there considering uh, how, how squishy Legolas is. Yeah, I don't I don't really care about that. You can cap it in armor or you can drop it and put two more throwing spears on. Either way, that's that doesn't worry me at all. Cool, cool. Well, what, what list have you got for me next, Jeremy? Oh, okay. You're jumping ahead, assuming that I've got one. So what I've got here... I'm going for an army with uh, some Lothlorien. So I was thinking of a scene as well where I can put the Fellowship in. And the Fellowship wasn't a Fellowship for, for that long, was it? It was a, only a Fellowship for a little while. So I've gone for uh, Lothlorien in my, my Fellowship. So you think of it when uh, just after they've got out of Moria, uh, Gandalf has been drawn into the abyss by a Balrog and the, the others are just running out. Now, it, it's, it's essentially breaking the Fellowship, but I haven't been able to get all the war gear in there and I have an allied force, so I haven't been able to use the Legendary Legion. So I've got, in my Fellowship warband, Aragorn, Frodo with Mithril Coat Sting, Sam, Merry, Pippin, Boromir, I could probably get a, squeeze a shield on him at some point here, but I don't have it yet, Legolas, Gimli. So I've got a basic Fellowship, really gone, gone light on points. And then I've got, in my warband of elves, I've got Haldir with an elven cloak, a wood elf warrior with a banner and spear, six wood elf warriors with throwing daggers and spears. That's my favorite wood elf combination. And then three wood elf warriors with bow. Uh, So it's a pretty small warband they're allied with. That's only 11 models that we've got there uh, allied into the, the fellowship. So we've got, what, 19 models. Not huge for 800 points. No Gandalf, but instead of Gandalf, we've got a bunch of elves, which helps in some cases doesn't help in some cases if you really really want the extra war gear the stuff that's hanging around you're gonna to have to drop some equipment off the elves which you can probably do but uh look i like the theme effectiveness i'm not sure what do you think kylie mm, i'm not sure either i think you might have uh chosen the wrong points limit for this list because i feel like Haldir is a great addition um uh in terms of uh like control but i think you've missed the 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 the, the piece de resistance from the, the Lothlorien list, the, the reason why you would duck into the Lothlorien list, and that's Sentinels. Not a single Sentinel to behold. I, I feel like that is a mistake, Jeremy. <laughs> well, they weren't really in the... I don't know. Something about the theme uh, doesn't fit in as well, because it's just... This is... Well, I guess the equipment on the Wood Elves isn't exactly themed either. They would have all had bows, but... Yeah, it's... It's at 800. I feel like... It'd be very interesting to see what what jumps in at a thousand because I think at that point you've got a bit more hero options. So a, a Galadriel or a Caliborn might be an interesting choice, and then you've got some more Wood Elves as well that are available. But I I kind of like it. It, it, thing, see, it feels a little bit like that the scenario as well where you you're escaping the goblins and the wags. But I don't know if it's as effective as the last one, but I think it does give a real fellowship feel, and it might. Um, for a beginner fellowship player, it might be okay because Gandalf can be tricky to use exactly right, whereas elves are a little bit more forgiving, although they're still pretty low defense, and then you don't get things like blinding light. So maybe maybe I'm overthinking that part of it, but I don't mind it. Uh, but um, I, I want to avoid going everything at a thousand points because, like, let's face it, people don't don't often play that high. Most places around the world now when they're starting up events and things are going for a bit lower than that. So I don't want to put all my armies there, but, but maybe a thousand was the right one. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, Jeremy, because options like Galadriel with the mirror has such great synergy with the fellowship, you know, getting back all those extra, you know, bits and pieces and, and extra resources as well as some control. And the Sentinels are just, 
I mean, we've talked on and on and on about <laughs> Sentinels, and we all know how good they are. And I think it's an absolute sin to not include them into a list when you're you're deliberately going to the Lothlorien list to get allies. I think that's a, a bit of a misplay there, Jeremy. I'm going for theme allies, Carly. I'm not going for the silly Sentinels who have all got instruments and then singing songs. Yeah, but think of it this way: like you, you said, this is a bit bit more for a player that hasn't really grasped Gandalf. I think really good training wheels for Gandalf would be a Sentinel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But Gandalf doesn't fit in this theme anyway. That's true. That's why I'm saying the Sentinel. Gandalf light, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think I, th- I don't know. I, it's it's a hard one because allies are tricky or like like that anyway, but. I don't know. I think it's one that I'll try out. It might be one that I try out as a like way to, to handicap myself a little bit. Because mm. you know how sometimes you get that matchup where you're trying to get a new player really, really set in the game? So you want to take something that, that looks cool and has lots of options and has some, some fun moments, but also is not necessarily uh, unbeatable. So I feel like this is a good option to, to go for that. So the games night, you've got a couple of new players. They've got the basic grasp of the game. They've got their Urukai Force or their, their Goblin Force or whatever. And you just take something like this just to just to make it so that you're about the same level. I think that's probably the place to go with this. All right. I, I see I, I see where you're trying to go with this, Jeremy. I see where you're going with it. Might not yeah, agree with it. it's rubbish. <laughs> Might not agree with it. But I, I, I can see what you're intending. No, no, no. It's not. It's not great, but I think it's a. Uh, it's a cool army, and sometimes we've just got to do that as well. Sometimes we've got to do this. And look, someone, someone might pick this up and just make it work. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Absolutely, absolutely, they have. Okay, fine. You, you go. You choose one. All right. Well, I've, I've got another list for you, Darren. I got another list. This is, this is what I like to call Barmir's Farewell. It's a five hundred point list. It is kind of taking some inspiration from a list I used to run way back when. Back when Faramir used to have an. Uh, an uber profile. He used to be uh, uh, a, a big boy. He used to be three attacks, three wounds back in the day. And I, I distinctly rem- remember doing very well at a tournament with uh, this kind of a uh, little bit of a combo. But this is what it looks like in the new edition. So in Warband 1, we have Faramir, Captain of Gondor, with horse, lance, and bow. He is leading one warrior minister with banner and shield. Uh, 15, uh, sorry, 13 Oscillia veterans, five of shields. Five of shield and spear, and three with foe. In Warband 2, we have Baragon, guard of the Citadel. He's leading six Citadel guard, three with spear, three with longbow. And in Warband number three, we have Damrod, ranger of Athelion, and he's just leading two rangers of Gondor and three spear. And you might be asking, Jeremy, where's the Fellowship member? Well, the Fellowship member is in Warband number four. It is Boromir of Gondor, on horse, with shield and elven cloak. <laughs> oh, you're going for the the bargain Boromir. Just uh, I need to ally six points of might. Yeah, he he fixes a list, doesn't he? That's a that's a pretty intimidating 500 point list, to be honest. It's got what is it like? Essentially, effectively fight for across the board. You've got your defense six front wall with your Oscillia veterans if you need it. You've got your, your Citadel guard, which are which are quite decent for the bodyguard rule. You've got your hitters. You've got two two basically. Well, Faramir is a good captain on a horse of a lance. He, he can hit really well. And Bo, I love that combination. And then you've got Boromir as well on horse. So you've got some really real power in your, your cavalry. Only two models, but that's huge. And then a little little distraction warband with, with Berigond, not Berigond, with Damrod and the, the couple rangers. Uh, I I don't know if I really want to play against this one because it's really tough to, to get a handle on it because Boromir can do so much at 500. It's that points level where you don't necessarily have the tools to beat him. Like at higher levels... You back yourself because you've probably got the magic or the bow fire to, to take him out. 
But at this low points level, I, you'd back yourself to protect him long enough with this army to get into combat and then just watch him go to work. And yeah, on horse and blowing the horn is a scary thing. Mm, that was my thought as well. Because like, I really wanted to show what like a single the single ally pull across uh contingent can really do for an army list and i think baromir of gondor is a is a, a classic example of this like for 105 points or 115 on horse he is such such good value to ally into into lists like these that could really use some extra might and some extra hitting power and i think Boromir in this particular list solves a lot of those problems. You could probably even do, you know, some other cheeky stuff with Rivendell and get a Boromir of Gondor allied in there as well. And I think he's he's probably out of all the Fellowship members one of the best kind of cheapo kind of mid range points levels around that five hundred six hundred points mark to ally across because he is such good value. So the Oskilia veterans I find a little bit of an interesting choice because they are um, they're a little bit. What are they costly compared to the the Warriors of Minas Tirith? They're a point more, aren't they, for for basically a point of courage on the basic profile. You get for that point, you get the potential to go up your fight value, which is which is nice to go up with the, within six inches of Boromir or Faramir. You're going to be hard pressed not to get that bonus in this army. So that that's decent. You do lose the shield uh, wall rule, so that that's it's something. It's not nothing. You got good sets of war gear, but it's weird how you don't have a banner option, isn't it? That's kind of strange. So, yeah, they're not they're not terrible. I think that carriage four, you get the army bonus here, do you or not? Uh, no, you don't, because it's yellow allies. But you don't really, you're not too worried about it because you do have the Oscillator vets, so you're kind of still sitting at that carriage four mark, and yeah. you've got bodyguard anyway. So, what are you even worried about? Yeah, look, I'm not worried that much, but but <laughs> Courage Five is pretty nice as well. So it is nice, uh, it yeah. is nice. But I I think like if you wanted Boromir out of the Minister of List, you, you're paying for the uh, Captain of the White Tower, who is just a bucket load more points. Like we're talking with the banner, an extra what 150 points, give or take, uh, slapped on yeah, there. Yeah. And yeah, it's just you, you kind of lose your 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 bargain basement value at that point and i think it does itself a, a bit of a disservice i think you're getting way more by having the budget boromir in there getting that that little proc on the oscillator veterans than you would getting the um the 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 uber boromir instead yeah i agree i think it's probably a, a better choice overall and, and having 26 models is pretty decent at, at 500 that's that's going to do a lot of work especially because they're they're not hard to crack through yeah, I think you're right. Like, if you tried to sub it in for the White Tower, Boromir, and did a similar thing, you're probably tempted to go for the banner because it's so amazing. But then you're going to lose Faramir and maybe something else as well. You might lose Faramir and and your Damrod Warband potentially. And that, that's that's a big chunk out of the army. So I, I, I do like this at 500. Uh, bigger, I think you just go the White Tower, Boromir. But 500, that's that's a pretty nice nice one. And I like the theme as well. The, uh, the the farewell there makes makes a bit of sense having them fighting fighting together just before he leaves. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay, Kylie. So I've done two. I'm just going to do a third now and then and then be done with it. I think that's that's be me spent. So this one it took all the energy out of me. This this army list. I tried to to work get my head around what to do with this one, and it, it was tough. It was really tough. And I, I I might have had some success, and I might not have. But but here we go. So I've gone for, and you can guess what it is. I've got. For a thousand points, thousand a fellowship with lots of friends. I've got Aragorn with bow. I've got Frodo, Sam, Merry, Pippin, no war gear. Five fellowship models, no war gear there, except for the bow from Strider. Then 
I've got for a second warband, and now you're going to have to guess after the second warband. I've got Barleyman Butterbeer, Bill the Pony, Harry Goatleaf, and then uh, Marin and Drar as well. Okay. okay. What's my theme, Kylie? Okay. Um, well, it, I'm assuming it's some sort of Frodo takes the ring to Rivendell kind of deal here. I think. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's about... I'm trying to get Bree. I'm trying to get Bree involved. So, so we've got those new models from Forge World. We've got, we've got Barleyman, we've got Harry, we've got Bill the Pony. I wanted to get them in with the Aragorn, Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin army. So it's a thousand. I'm nowhere near a thousand yet. Mirren and Dra, I wanted to get some dwarf representation because dwarves are at Bree and there's there's not a lot of ways to get dwarves in, <laughs> to be honest, because of the ally contingent. So Mirren and Dra. Sneaky way of getting a couple dwarves in there. They're going to help me with a, a bit of a tank front line. They're, they're, they're pretty good. So in my next warband, I've got a Hobbit contingent. So I've got Gandalf the Grey leading three Hobbit militia. Sorry, not three. Five Hobbit militia, five Hobbit archers, and five Hobbit sheriffs. So 15 Hobbits led by Gandalf the Grey. Pretty decent amount of Hobbits there. That's my, my number bulking warband. It's going to bring my numbers up. All these Bree Hobbits. A lot of Bree Hobbits. Good amount of Bree Hobbits. And then my final warband is the men. And this was, this was the toughest one to come up with. So the, the, my men, this is, this is an absolute reach. I've got Theodrid with shield and throwing spears, so on foot. I've got a warrior of Rohan, or Bree, with banner, throwing spears, shield. I've got five, sorry, not five, nine warriors of Rohan, I mean Bree, with throwing spears and shield. And five Rohan, I mean Bree, outriders, outwalkers, walking outwalkers, walking outriders, riders, of Rohan from Bree on foot. So I've got 41 models, a thousand points, uh, a lot of heroes, good amount of heroes. So Aragorn is a bit of a hitter. I've got the Hobbits heroes there. I've got Theodred, I've got Gandalf, I've got uh, Morin and Dra, so almost a fantasy fellowship. But then a good amount of models to back them up. So 15 warriors, of Hobbits, sorry, and 15 men. That's going to be pretty handy as well. So I've got a decent sized army here. It's not, it's not outstanding. But it's it's um, probably enough that I can win some games with it. But, man, it was hard to make a Bree theme. What do you think of this one, Kylie? I actually don't mind this one. I'm a bit disappointed that there's no uh, Rangers in the, of the North uh, somewhere lurking around in that list. Because I feel like uh, the, 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 the wandering Ranger contingent that would definitely be hanging around, around Bree is a little bit underrepresented. That, underrepresented maybe you could have the uh outwalkers uh pretending to be rangers or something like that but <laughs> i actually yeah. i actually don't mind it because like it, it kind of is almost a fellowship like what you would normally see as a regular fellowship like murin and dra are kind of taking the same place as legolas and gimli you kind of got phaedra there um taking the place of boromir you've still got frodo um and the hobbits and aragorn and gandalf in there and You've got, you know, Harry and Barlamin to just add some extra little bits of um, synergy and might and stuff there. So you definitely got some tools there to kind of add as like this proxy fellowship. Because I imagine it's going to play in, in a similar fashion. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Dra is probably more keen to get into combat than Legolas is. But they, they do a very similar role in Dra to Gimli and Legolas. And uh, Theodred can can play the Boromir role. He's a, he's a pretty good hitter and... Uh, you've got to control him at times, but he's he's a, he's a good hitter. There is a lot of shooting in the army. So you've got all the men have a, a shooting weapon, and you've got all the hobbits having a throwing weapon. So that that's pretty decent as well. So you've got that time where if Aragorn wants to call like a, 
a heroic accuracy with his free point of might, and they can just all unload at the back rank on like a, a shaman or something like that, and just go ignore all the in the ways, just keep rolling them, keep re-rolling them, or whatever the rule is, the, the thing that makes it so you get through anyway, you can start picking up some stuff really well with it as well. So I think think that's okay. It does play a lot like a fellowship army, but um, Gandalf, who has, who has managed to be on time, he's arrived at Bree, throwing down a blinding light, and then Aragorn doing a, a heroic accuracy of all these guys. That could be really nasty. Yeah, very much so. Like, out of the 41 models in your list, you have 36 of them have ranged weapons. And even then, you can have, you've can you got Gandalf with his ranged blast, so he kind of has a proxy ranged weapon as well. And you have two shots on draw. So really, you're pumping out a lot of shots with this list. And yeah, that's that's super scary when you're going into double banners on, on like, as a charge against it, like it's going to do that, that really annoying Hobbit thing of like, it's going to hit you and soften you up with all the throwing, throw stones and throwing weapons and bow fire. And then you get onto it. And then you've, you've, you're copying an Aragon, a Mirren and draw and a Theodred to the face. Like that's, that can be really frustrating to deal with, especially since everything's going to have a banner reroll because one, you've got a banner on the Theodred uh, Warband with the Warriors of Bree. And two, you've got Bill who acts as a banner for all the Hobbits. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Hobbits there, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, so it's... I think from a synergy point of view, it works pretty well. As I said, I, I, I love the idea of a Bree folk army. I wish I could just take ruffians. That would I would have just 100% just dropped the Rohan Warband and just taken heaps of ruffians, and that would have been fine with me. But uh, this is the best I could do with a good list. Yeah, no, I, I I actually don't mind it. I would actually like to see this on the table at some point. Yeah, as soon as we get out of our homes, let's do it. Yeah. Well, I've got one more list for you, Jeremy. Oh, okay. Yes. So I was going to do a... Uh, you gave me the challenge of writing a Aragorn and Gandalf uh, army list. And I was going to do Hunt for Gollum. And then I realized that, like, two episodes <laughs> ago, we did a hunt, I did a Hunt for Gollum list with the... Um, with the Thranduil's Hall. So I'm like, all right, bugger that. But I'm still going to keep the Aragorn-Gandalf combo. So here's a, like my almost my take two at another run at the idea for a Gandalf-Aragorn combo. And I think this one comes out a little bit better than the other list. This is an 800-point list. In Warband number one, we have Gandalf the Great on horse. In Warband number two, we have Aragorn uh, Strider with armor, elven cloak, horse, and bow. And he's leading three Dunedain, uh, one of which has a spear. And finally, in Warband number three, we have Glorfindor, Lord of the West, with Ashcloth and the Armour of Gondolin. And he is leading Bilbo Baggins, the old uh, kind of version of him, and nine High Elf Warriors, three with Spear and Shield, three with Elf, Bow and Spear, and three with just the Shield. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, let me let me think this through. I need to, need to gather my thoughts. 800 points is not a small game, but then again, Aragorn... Glorfindel and Gandalf are not small opponents. Those three together could could do some serious damage. Plus, you've got Bilbo to back up one of them if you want to go like hit squads of Aragorn, Gandalf, and Glorfindel, Bilbo. That's pretty decent. You've got enough models to peel, but that's about it, to be honest. Like, you don't have a huge amount of warriors. The Dunedain are nice. Extra points of might are always good, but they're not the two attack flavor, I don't believe, are they? They're just the. No, no, they're not. They're yellow allies. But they're more in the list as a combo piece rather than a. Hey, look, I'm two attacks on the front yeah. line piece. They're there to go, right, Aragorn, I'm going to call the heroic combat. You call the strike and go into that big scary yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got Bilbo around as well. To or, or Well, you don't need to strike. You've got Bilbo. But same idea with Glorfindel as well. You can get Glorfindel to do the, 
the hard work and those guys to just power up the, the heroic combat. So that, that definitely works. Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't mind it at all. I think it's, it's, the numbers are okay. They're not, they're not amazing. You've got some good, you've got some amazing heroes there, but I think uh, what I would do is possibly drop one of those Dunedain for a banner for one of the high elves, because I am, um, I know they're going on the road, but I think when they're on the road, the elves still had some flags around. Maybe, maybe they did, but I just think uh, having, having that reroll for, for Aragorn and Glorfindel especially. And then once your high elves, your high elves are going to have to hold the line at some point. So you're going to need them to go up from, from one attack to maybe the shielding, but one attack to maybe two attacks with the reroll is going to be much more reliable. I, I, I would try and get a flag in there somehow. Yeah, I can see that. I just, I, I wanted to keep the numbers up a little bit, um, a little bit more and have a, just a bit more redundancy with the, the combo pieces. Cause I'm seeing this as, as that, like, you, you, you go in, you spend the turns to set up, you get Gandalf to get that crucial Kampala or something, and then, bam, Aragorn, Glorfindel, Chudunadan, and Gandalf are all calling heroic combats, and then suddenly, you know, the big enemy troll is dead, or Azog is dead, or, or something of that ilk. Yeah, it's a classic trap, though, isn't it, Kylie, where you go and you just say, oh, I don't want a banner because I want more models. It's like, no, 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 take the banner, take the banner, that's that's... That's a better use of models to optimize your attack. So, uh, yeah, I get it. You're, you're at that level where it's it's really on the the knife's edge. But I, that's why I think one Dunedain is a good choice because it's uh, will will only be one model at that point. You don't want to lose three high elves if you can, especially when you've only got nine of the things. So, yeah, look, may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can go without the banner here. I still would consider it because it's it's very much a heroes do everything type list. But they they are really powerful heroes. You have got Aragorn and and Glorfindel. They, they can they can hit and kill pretty much anything that they want to, especially the backing up of Gandalf and, and all that he provides with it, with his uh, terrifying aura channeled and his blinding light going and all that other fun stuff and, and compelling and transfixing and doing whatever he wants to everyone else. I think I think this is definitely usable. I do I do really like the theme. So once again, you've, you've, you're on fire with theme for this episode. So that, I that, know, that's feels, impressive. Feels like a bit of a role reversal than yeah. what we, we normally do. Normally you're the one that's uh, coming up with the theme army list and I'm the one that's coming up with the wacky out of left field uh, competitive lists. Well, I think we've all tried to go theme here and, and had different success. I think my Bree army is a little bit on the, the competitive side almost just because that Rohan contingent probably should be just some generic terrible men. But the good side doesn't really have any generic terrible men. They're all elite in their own way. And plus... The ones that, that are obvious choice, like the Lake Town Militia without Bard are pretty much a standard militia, which would be a perfect representation for Bree. They're red allies. They're no good. So, yeah, what can I do with that one? What can you do indeed? Uh, it's, uh, this is another one of those episodes where I feel a bit let down by the army, the army lists and allies. Yeah, I think I think it's the, probably the biggest issue is just the way we play. We, we try to explore these areas that aren't represented in the books explicitly. And I think that's where we're going wrong. I think if you're going for just the, the really obvious ones, you've either got a legendary legion or you've got your army list. But once you try to veer off the path, even just a little bit, that's when it's coming back to bite you. And yes, yes, you will get people who try to go power list. But honestly, people do that anyway with legendary legions. Is that that much of a difference? I don't know if it actually is. I, I liked I liked the allies with some freedom, and uh, this was where it sort of shows the limitations. I don't see why there isn't a faction of just generic men, just with captains, just with militia-y type guys that can be green allies with everyone. Like, how hard would it be just to give yourself the Lake Town profile? Give them a banner if you want. Who cares? Give them the basic captain, 
basic Lake Town militia, basic banner, and just say they're men of men of the north or men of men of the west or something like that. Just something. And they can just take the green allies of everyone. You don't lose your army bonus. They don't get a bonus. They don't get part of it. They they count as green allies, but they don't get the army bonus for the other contingent. But you can just take some men because there's so often in the books where that happened, so many tribes around, and they're just not represented at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, Jeremy. I agree 100% with you there. It would be nice to have a generic man profile for, you know, all your Rohan, your Rovanian, your Bree, you know, Fiefdom, all those kind of, like, parts of Middle-earth where we, we, we see that are inhabited, just, you know, not represented. Like, I'm surprised there's no, like, even Grey Havens list that's come out yet. Um, like, that was, like, I remember way back when they did have a Grey Havens list, but they never actually fleshed it out. And, yeah, mm. it would be nice to see some of those, um, those kind of bits and pieces we do see in the books and the movies finally get a bit more TLC. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But but we, we, we talk about that every episode, and and our listeners clearly know that, that we're disappointed by that. But given the constraints, given all the restrictions, I think we've actually done pretty well. Like, I think with these lists, they're all, they've all got their own theme. I think in terms of playability, if you wanted to take something to it, like a legitimate competitive event, I would back myself with your Boromir list. I would back myself with that Rohan 300s list, and I would probably back myself with the, the Bree list. So I think half of them, for, for all theme, half of them being like competitive, I think that's pretty good. And the other ones aren't terrible. I don't think they're gonna, you're going to lose all your games with them. But like the Fellowship ones, I could back myself to win over half the games, probably not take down an event. The uh, Same with the, your Road for Rivendell. I could probably back myself to, to win just over half my games, maybe, maybe push for a podium if I'm lucky. And then my Lothlorien one is probably the weakest out of a lot of them. That one, that's the, if I can win half my games, I'm happy. But that, that's not terrible. That is not terrible. And I think that some of these lists will be a good challenge for some players out there to have a crack at. Because so, some of the times I remember going to tournaments with kind of weird, wacky, out-off-the-wall lists have been some of the funnest tournaments I've I've been to. Because you, kind of, you kind of like just let go of all expectations and just try stuff and then it works and then suddenly you've got these great stories about how you you know you managed to take down a you know 50 model goblin army with you know just a ragtag group of of heroes or this weird white council combo or something like that so definitely give it a shot yeah no, I, I think you're right there that that is so true when you when you remove the expectations and you say i'm not like my aim is to have fun rather than my aim is to to get to a certain result that's when sometimes you get nice surprises, but more often than not, you have an absolute ball. Yeah, definitely. Well, Carly, I've had an absolute ball with this episode. I can't wait to, to release it to the public and, and then get started on the next one. So I think we'll, we'll leave it there and, and let our listeners uh, get back to whatever you're doing. Thank you so much for spending that time with us. A good almost four hours now. So that was that was good fun. Thank you, Kylie. Hopefully we can get some other friends on as well. I know it's been tricky to get schedules right. And it's funny, even though we're, we're, we're locking down at the moment, it feels like it's harder to reach people at times. So... Yeah, we'll mm. see how we go, and may- maybe we'll come up with something for our next episode. It probably we're likely to be doing more list stuff because this is the perfect time to get it done. Because we know all the stuff, we've played the scenarios. Some of us are playing them at home, and and with a, either a housemate or a, the family members, and then uh, we can get through some of them because we still got like half the half of Middle Earth to cover. But we are aware of all the new releases that are coming out, and and we might talk about it at some point, or we might not. Someone else could do that. <laughs> 
that's their job. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Kylie. Yeah. And remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.